everyone, and welcome to the 15th episode of Slime Time, the official Dragon's Den Dragon Quest podcast. This is one of your hosts, Platy M3. And this is Liam Land. So, uh, Platy, I ran afoul of the horrendous uh, Quest of the Stars RNG once again. Still trying for that uh, Falcon Blade there? Yeah, no Falcon Blade. So they had another temporary Tombla about a week or so ago that had a Falcon Blade in it. And anyone listening to our previous Quest of the Stars podcast or just hears me ranting in chats, forums, or social media about it, this is the weapon I desire greatly as it's my weapon of choice for Dragon Quest Nine. So anyway, I'm, I must have blown about like 12, 1,200 gems on, on uh, 10 pulls for the stupid Tombla. And did I get one Falcon Blade? Hell no. I'm sure not. What did you get? Uh, it was uh, just a bunch of crappy three-star items and about four five-star pants. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, that's something. Good job with the pants. <laughs> well, the crotches of all my characters are well protected, but I still didn't get the Falcon Blade. And then, of course, this week, the Tombola is gone again, and they have something else in place. Um, why do they do that? Why, why can't I just buy the damn sword with in-game currency? That would make them not gotcha, and you gotta <laughs> be a gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's the law of averages. If I keep playing, I'll eventually get it. It might be right before the servers come down and the game sunsets, but for that split second before that happens, I'll have my Falcon Blade. And, you know, at some point that'll probably happen, but not right now. <laughs> Wasn't meant to be yet. Nope. <laughs> All right. So joining us tonight, we have from the RPG Backtrack podcast on RP Gamer, Mr. Phil Willis. Yeah, where you get to hear us talk about RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. That's right, and hey, we're going to talk about an RPG from way back when. So, hey, Phil, welcome to our podcast. Salutations. And uh, returning for our third time, we got Mr. Yangus, the Legendary Bandit. We have Zachary with us. Howdy, everybody. The notes tell me that I need to do some sort of equivalent to the underpants dance, so I'm just going to wave my phone around for a bit. You can't see it, but on it is a picture of me getting a falcon blade in Dragon Quest Stars, and I told Liam all about that. I know he was Yeah, really yeah, you're like, oh, I didn't, didn't even try very hard. No, I just, one day I logged in, I did the free poll, and it's like, hey, you got a Giga oh, Ultra Rare item, or uh, whatever they call it. Oh, you got yeah. an Ultra Giga Rare, and it was a Falcon Blade. I'm like, well, Liam's going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> if it makes you feel better, though, Liam, I do have a character of you in the game, and he does have that equipped. So, Oh, I appreciate that. That's that's very honorable. Living vicariously. I'm, I'm honored. I'm on it. In Dragon <laughs> Quest Three in that playthrough, you have a Falcon Blade in there too. So nice. you might not have it yourself, but other versions of you do have it. So <laughs> yeah, all right, much appreciated. Somewhere okay. out in the Dragon Quest uh, D- DQMU multiverse. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, there is a DQ4 event going on right now. Yes, there where is. You can play, and you can you can play with like the NPC character um, instead of being a, a, a random. Uh, NPC of a friend in the game. Um, it's like an actual character, like uh, Ragnar. Or, um, oh, I, I, yeah. You can actually play with uh, with Kirill or Christo, and he's got the Thwack spell, and it fails <laughs> utterly. <laughs> if it, it's got it, it's it's very very uh, um, realistic to to the game. So. Okay, but tonight we're going to talk about Dragon Quest Four for real this time. That's right. If you listened to our last episode, it was our April Fool's episode where uh, we had Westy on and we kind of lightly touched on Dragon Quest Four or what we pretended might have been Dragon Quest Four. Yeah, with with some truths and some falsehoods. And tonight we're actually going to focus on the game itself. 
But before we do that, let's get to know our guest. Um, Phil here. I've talked about on our podcast here how I write reviews for RP Gamer and I guest on their various podcasts from time to time. Um, Zachary and I run a turn-based RPG group on Facebook, and about two years ago, uh, Phil jumped on and he messaged me and he's like, hey, I have a podcast where I talk about old games. Do you think it'd be great to post about my podcast on here? I was like, yeah, sure. Ahead. Go right ahead. So uh, Phil and I got chatting over Messenger. Um, through the months and I started listening to his podcast and next thing I know I kind of listened to about 120 episodes of it uh kind of went through the backtrack of the RPG backtrack and suddenly Phil's suckering me into applying for RP Gamer and for the last 20 months I've been on there and I've done some shows with him and uh it's been a fun time for me and I've enjoyed getting to know Phil and hope you guys do too right now so uh Phil I'm gonna let you talk right now What's your origin story with RP Gamer? How how long have you been on there, and how do you get going with the RPG backtrack? First, I just want to say congratulations. <laughs> you survived a hundred plus episodes of us ranting on for three to four hours a pop about old RPGs from the way back when three years. That should be like an achievement. Like there's something. I, just out of curiosity, after you listened to the hundredth episode, did you see this big banner flash across your eyes? Achievement unlocked. <laughs> what centennial uh, RPG backtrack centennial? Did did that happen? No, I didn't. And, you know, I've got this podcast app and it records literally how many hours I have listened to your show. Oh, my God. I'll have to look it up while we're talking here at some point. But it's something like 20 days worth of time I've spent listening to grief. 20 days (laughs) of your life. You'll never get back again. But, you know, it's not 20 days. It's probably like 15 because I usually listen at about 1.3 speed or something like that. So. That's also impressive because, generally speaking, I compress, uh, when I do the editing, I compress it down to about, mm, probably to a 1.2 at the end of the day. So that's pretty impressive. I I remember I messaged you almost two years ago, or I messaged somebody, was it Kelly or somebody? I was like, I'm really impressed about, you know, they just keep rattling these facts off and it's ridiculously fast, even at normal speed. And that's when you got back and you were like, oh, I cut out all the silences oh, yeah. and speed it up anyway <laughs> yeah it's a wonder what you can do with the filters with audacity mm-hmm. so and uh, I, i'll tell you what i've taken your idea we do that too we cut out about uh five to ten minutes of every episode by using that getting rid of that audio so you're, spaces you're a pretty good speaker you're pretty quick just listening to you now so i'd imagine it doesn't help you nearly as much as it does for us on the rpg backtrack where it'll take out half an hour or more mm-hmm. as well, we collect you, get, our you also go five hours <laughs> right Occasionally. so so what was the question again secret origin oh, or something yeah what was your origin with rp gamer and how do you get going with um start take over the rpg backtrack so i started off with rp gamer shortly after i moved to the great state of utah about 10 or 11 years ago uh i you know started a new chapter in my life a new job etc cetera, etc cetera, and uh and was looking for a new group of friends and in utah it's it's a little different finding friends in utah is a lot different than florida so uh so i, I looked online and and i had seen rp uh, gamer before and uh and they had the big uh, hiring call uh on their front page so i figured what the hell i'll go ahead and and, and give it a shot uh, I got hired. I use that air quotes because they don't actually pay anything. So I'm not, that just makes you a volunteer, really. Uh, but but I got hired. I started off writing news articles, eventually worked my way into reviews uh, where they put me through a trial by fire by giving me some of the worst games. Oh, yes. 
<laughs> and in RP Gamer, we have this little slogan that you have to complete the games before you review them. Uh, I'm always plugging RP Gamer because if you go to a website, uh, some of these bigger name websites, I won't mention them, uh, a lot of them, they don't actually even play the games to completion before they review them. And that's really important with RPGs because you can you can have a lot of unbalancing of stuff that's happening in the last one half, one third, one quarter of the game. So if someone doesn't play it all the way through, I won't say that a lot of games get better in the last half, but a lot of them get a hell of a lot worse. So mm-hmm. it's important you play them all the way through if you're reviewing a game uh, for a website. And that's what RP Gamer does. And it's run by people. No one's paid. So everyone's doing it out of the passion and love you know, for the games. Uh, but anywho, uh, it did reviews for about a year. And uh, I was looking to get into podcasting. They already had like a current events current news uh, podcast there with the RPG cast, which has been running for ages, well over a decade. And uh, I talked to the editor-in-chief, uh, Mr. Michael Cunningham, uh, about uh, about some ideas, and he said, they'll sound good, but, you know, we have this old podcast, the RPG Backtrack, and some friends and I did it uh, for RP Gamer. We did about 10 episodes, but then the group kind of fell apart. A lot, real life, you know, kicked in. But I thought it was, uh, he said, you know, I really love the idea because we basically went through old games. And you're always talking about old games, Phil. Uh, that's clearly a passion of yours. So, I, you know, what do you think of this idea? And the more he talked about it, I was like, you know what, this sounds very exciting. Uh, and 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 we started talking about it in the chat channel that we had at the time. Uh, Mike Minky raised his hand. Mike Minky plays a lot of old games uh on older consoles and and uh and we ended up hooking up as the co-host and starting it with episode 11 so if you go back if you go into itunes or your podcast catcher you look up rpg backtrack uh for the first nine or ten episodes it was the old crew and then mike minky and i about a year after they took a break picked up the banner the torch at episode 10 or 11 where i think we start off with the biggie we start off with final fantasy 7 if i'm not mistaken uh and we've been doing it ever since we're around 220 ish now we record once or twice a month sometimes taking a break for real life uh i've been taking a break lately just because of my job and what's going on with recent events but uh but but we keep we always go back to it and we keep it going and they're really long episodes so while we don't record very frequently when we do get to the mic, they're really, really juicy, and we have a lot of uh, a lot of people from RP Gamer come on the show. If it was just Mike and I, I don't think we could carry it because there, we we go into these games, we go into a ton of detail. So you really had to have played them recently or have a really good memory. So it helps that we're able to pull on the expertise of these experts and these other uh lovers of rpgs from the rp gamer staff pool and they'll come on there and and they'll fill in a lot of the blanks that mike and i don't have uh but yeah it's exciting it's fun if you are into retro games it's it's been great that's what i've been doing now for eight or nine years for the site i'll still write the occasional review i did do a recent review for monster hunter iceborne you know for example so that's it that's the story Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, what was your first RPG, and uh, and uh, besides that, what was your first Dragon Quest game? My first, my first RPG was the uh, the Gold Box Dungeon Dragons games on the Commodore sixty four computer. So we're going like way back, uh, and they were just mind blowing. Uh, so my first, uh, if you, those, those, if you have never seen them before, do some Googling the gold box Dungeon Dragons games from the 19 late, uh, late 19 mid to late 1980s 
are some very, very faithful recreations of the tabletop experience, especially, you know, for their time and even do a better job than some of the newer games do of trying to recreate the tabletop experience. Uh, but anyways, uh, then then my first Dragon Quest game uh, was Dragon Quest IV, uh, which <laughs> we'll talk more about later. I want to spoil that and my feelings on that. But yes, Dragon Quest IV was, in fact, my first Dragon Quest game. Okay. Let's see. What were some of your first impressions of the Dragon Quest series um, coming from a PC gamer? See, that you're going to spoil it. See, that's what I, Okay, fine. <laughs> we can save that if you want. We can no, save no, your impressions. No, you've opened up the can, so let's They just gave me the question to ask. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you done there's opened a guy, up the There's a guy with a gun to Zachary's head. And he's like, read the question. So, <laughs> you got to understand, the Gold Box Dungeon Dragons game, as I mentioned, was a very faithful representation of the tabletop experience you literally had a grid when you got into combat where you had a party of six characters that you made yourself and you had to strategically look you had to look over these deep and complicated rules first of all and come up with what was a balanced team which wasn't easy like in final fantasy one making a balanced team simply made picking warrior uh you know rogue white mage and black mage boom balanced party you didn't waste any thought on it. With Dungeon and Dragons, you really had to pay attention to not only what your party was, uh, what was creating your party as far as how many warriors, how many clerics, whatever, but their race and, and combinations, what what spells they took for your wizards, uh, and how all this was going to interact together. It was a really deep experience. And then I played Dragon Quest Four, where at first it was really cool because. You went through the first five chapters uh, playing each of the character stories. And compared to the Goldbox games, which pretty much are you're creating heroes, uh, and because they're created characters, especially with the limitations, the data limitations of the time, they couldn't get very creative with how your character fit into the story. It was always very, very generic. There was this exciting epic adventure these dragons need to be slayed or whatever have you, but you knew nothing of your character aside what you created in your head. Uh, kind of like XCOM nowadays. The excitement is in the fact that you create a party, you name them after your friends, and when they die, it's it means something because it was named after your friends. Whereas with Dragon Quest, they've already made up the characters and and, and they've got backstories, and you're playing through the backstories, and that was different. That was eye-opening. That was that was like you're you're playing through a book. Uh, and and they've already written the story for you, and you're just experiencing it as you go along. And, and that was different and original and really cool. Then I got to Chapter 5, where you played the main hero, and eventually he or she goes and picks up the other warriors that you played through the first four chapters that have these cool backstories. And two problems happened here. Number one, they didn't really continue those stories very well, and those characters became kind of silent, and so a lot of that momentum and excitement really went away really quickly. And number two, the computer controlled them in combat. The combat system is already simplistic compared to, to the Dungeons & Dragons games because it's not tactical. It's just an enemy on in front of you, and you're four characters, and you pick attack or heal or cast a spell. There's not a whole lot of strategy involved there. Um, but now you're taking what little strategy there is away from me because the computer controls the other characters. And sometimes they make some really stupid decisions. So my first impressions, 
Not very good. I played maybe 10 to 12, 15 hours of it, and I quit. All right. We'll hear more of your impressions when you got to the, uh, what is it, the DS remake later on. Not, well, something else happened between, but, I, you know, I, you asked me what was my first impressions. And oh. <laughs> didn't want to keep talking forever. I could go on for years, but, uh, you know, that that's the first impression. There's a second and a third impression, but we'll stick with the first. <laughs> All right. So uh, I... Listening to, you know, 120 of your episodes, I always find it, and I jump around. I'll listen to episode 30, I'll listen to episode 170. It's just like, oh, hey, look, there's a game. I kind of play roulette with the um, app and just kind (laughs) of, oh, yeah, I have not gone straight through it all. Um, But it's funny because I know at one point you were trying to play your way through the series, and it was years worth, and you were trying to get your brother involved and everything. So I know you've played, I, I know you've played a good deal of it. Um, what are some of your favorite games that you play in the Dragon Quest series? And have you just played the mainline or any of the spinoffs? Yeah, I played. Uh, so, so, so I played uh, Dragon Quest Heroes. Uh, touched a little bit on. I forget that one with the slime, the rocket slime. Rocket slime. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, didn't really capture me in the way it's captured other people. Uh, but Dragon Quest Heroes and Dragon Quest Heroes Two. Mwah, sublime. Can't recommend those games enough. Just especially I, the first one. Just. For me, it's an appetizer for the second one, but just just absolutely amazing games. Um, I love Musou games and uh, and Dragon Quest. You know, some people will complain that Musou games are very repetitive and they don't require a lot of strategy, which is kind of the point. You know, like after a stressful day at work, I just want to do three button combinations and kill thousands of soldiers, you know, at the same time. And the most uh, difficult thing about your typical Musou game, like a Dynasty Warriors or a Samurai Warriors game, whatever they're called, is is being at the right place at the right time, right? That, mm-hmm. That's your biggest concern. But there's, you know, as far as like the action itself, it, it's pretty simple combinations that make you feel like uh, an epic warrior. Uh, Dragon Quest Heroes addresses the concern that these games aren't deep enough and aren't strategic enough because you're playing a party of characters, each with different skills, each with uh, different strengths and weaknesses that have to work together as a party. And they did a really, really great job of capturing like the fact that when you're playing a, a, a Dragon Quest game, one of the more difficult Dragon Quest games, and you're going through a boss battle, you have to know to use buffs, debuffs, uh, tension, things like that, uh, and 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 when to use which character where. That they they did a really great job of capturing that with the Muso. It was just absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, I can't I can't recommend that game enough. As far as like mainstream mainline game, uh, I'll still maintain that four is my favorite, despite my first impressions. Uh, four <laughs> is awesome. Uh, it, it just it you know once once you get over its limitations. Now, granted, I'm really referring to the 3DS version where I can at least control my whole party. Um, but uh, and there's some more dialogue, so it's definitely the superior version in my opinion. Um, but it's just the right length. It, it, it tells a good story. It really captures the essence of what makes all the Dragon Quest games awesome. And and it doesn't overstay its welcome. Uh, then not to say there aren't other great ones. I could go on and on. But but four is, is still my favorite. It just 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 hits that sweet spot. And that's why you're here tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the length of the game have... can definitely make a difference too. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah you can have a great game if it overstays its welcome. Uh, I talk about that with Persona 3 versus 4. 4 is a lot of people's favorites, but for me, it overstayed its welcome. It was like almost twice as long as Persona 3. And while it does do things better and bring some better things to the table, it doesn't justify, in my opinion, the length of time it took up. I, I just I felt like it could have been two dozen hours shorter and it would have been great. 
Have you been playing Persona 5 Royal? It's coming. This is the year of Persona 5. This is totally the year of Persona <laughs> 5. I, I got in the mail about a week or so ago because of my job and, again, chaos and all kinds of stuff I won't bore you guys with. Um, it's been hard to get free time for the last couple of weeks, uh, but that will settle down, and, and it's ready to be open. I'm hoping this weekend I'm going to really be able to get into it and get, that, get the year of Persona 5 officially kicked off and started. As of the year Persona 5, because that's how long it's going to take to beat it. Well, it's because, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, we'll see if it overstays its welcome. You know, it's funny because looking at some uh, reviews and talking to a friend who's already, who's been laid off, unfortunately, but it has a ton of time to play through this. You know, it seems like while it is very long that they have they have done a whole bunch of tweaking uh, additions, just a ton of improvements to what was already a really good game, turning it into uh, what many will, are calling a masterpiece. I'll be the judge when I play it. This isn't the Persona 5 podcast, so I won't, you know, go on. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of see. But, no, the reason why it's the year of 5 is you not only have Persona 5 Gold, in which, yes, will take a beefy amount of time, but you also have uh, Persona 5 Scramble coming out later this year, which is a continuation of the Persona 5 story and happens to be a Musou game. And I know a lot of people are already excited, but I am super excited about oh, I'm that. I'm excited for that one. I, I really ex- need to get on, I gotta I get on 5, though, first. <laughs> right. And I'm throwing in Persona Q2. Uh, I never played Persona Q2. Uh, I played Persona Q, which was okay. Persona Q, if you don't know, is a marriage of Persona 3 and 4 with the Etrian Odyssey series. You can get that on your 3DS. It's a dungeon-crawling experience, but it features characters and a story that feels like you could fit in with the Persona universe just fine, but it pulls those characters in, and they they meet together. And it's a pretty good game. Uh, If you like Etrian Odyssey or like Persona... It, I, I I love Persona Q. It's just it's just a really fun experience. But by all accounts from reviewers, including my good friend Mike Minky, everyone who's played it, Persona Q2, which also introduces characters from Persona 5, it is a more actually it's a Persona 5 centric experience. It really focuses on that uh, that story, and and the Persona 3, 4 characters are there, but they're a little bit more of a backseat. Um, but but as far as games go, they say that this this improves on that as well. So I figured I did I have it, but I didn't want to play it until playing Persona Five. And when I heard Royal was coming, I'm like, why play Persona Five when I can have the better experience? So this is year of Persona Five because it will definitely take me at the very least until the end of this year to play all three of those games. And more more than likely, it will spill into 2021. Let's be honest. Yeah, especially when you get the dancing game going. We're not doing the dancing. That's not part of it. <laughs> that's, that's not a thing. No. You ever see White Man Can't Dance? I will knock over the furniture. I'll knock, I know it's just on the controller. I'll still knock it all over. It just, no, it, it doesn't end well. So uh, any games in the DQ franchise that you haven't gotten around to playing yet that you want to? Uh, D- Dragon Quest uh, Eleven. Uh, I got the switch. You know, I got it on the PlayStation, and I never really got around to it. I, I bought it. I want to support them. Um, and, and I wanted to play it, but I just never really got to it. Uh, and, and, and now they, you know, they had announced uh, the switch edition and normally I wouldn't go to a switch edition of anything when I have it on the PlayStation, because generally speaking, your PlayStation versions of games are always going to have the better graphics, the better frame rates, uh, the, you know, the better experience, unless you're, you know, solely focused on portable, which I'm not, but as I'm, maybe you guys have talked about in the past, this, the switch edition has uh, a number of goodies. The, uh, the the 2D old school mode that was featured in the Japanese 3DS version or whatever it was. So that's super exciting. But the most exciting thing of all is real orchestrated music for whatever gosh darn reason. And I really don't care. 
But on the PlayStation 4 version, we have digitized music. And on the Switch, we have the digitized music. And if you haven't stopped and listened to the difference between the two of those, it's night and day. When he goes, dun, 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 you want that with played with real trumpets. You don't want a digitized <laughs> version of that. You want trumpets blaring the fact you just leveled up. And that's what the Switch version does. So uh, aside from the additional goodies and tweaks and stuff that they've added in, it's essentially the royal version of uh, of Dragon Quest XI. So if you have both, I would recommend. Uh, the, the, this is one of those rare instances where I recommend Switch Edition over a PlayStation Edition for those people who have uh, both. So yeah, that's the one I haven't played. Now, I haven't completed 7 or 8. I have both of those on the 3DS. I go back to them from time to time. Uh, 7 is just a... I'm sorry. It's a slog. It's a slog. I <laughs> that just... was that was the first podcast I ever did with you was talking about seven, and I had to be the uh, Dragon Quest Seven apologist on that episode. So much but thick mud. The thing is, I think every every time there was a complaint, I was like, "That's a perfectly valid complaint," but I still love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't. I had no facts. I had no facts to back up my love of it because yes. There oh, were. you can. Yeah, you know what? There, the, the the complaints against your typical Dynasty Warriors games are completely valid. It is repetitive. The graphics are, you know, low res uh, outside of the 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 warriors themselves. Everything else in that game is low res. I, I could go on and on, but I still love it. It's it's mm. great. So I totally get that. Uh, eight. I just I don't really have a great excuse for eight aside from the fact that it's on my 3ds and I just don't spend a lot of time on my 3ds. So. I need to finish that. I'm like maybe halfway through, maybe. Okay. Um, do you have any favorite or least favorite characters from the series? Oh, hmm. Favorite characters. Uh, hmm. Wow, that's a good one. Uh, that that assumes I'm actually good with names. Just say Yangus, and you'll get bonus points. Yeah. <laughs> Yegus is really cool. I will say that the beauty of Dragon Quest VIII is voice acting, and no one shines better than Yangus. Uh, he is super memorable because of uh, because of that uh, and whatnot. Uh, and I and, and I don't lie. I think um, Alina's very feisty, so I, I really like her. And playing her in Dragon Quest Heroes too, where she just beats the crap out of everybody, just beats them with her fist, is just hilarious. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Not going to say Carver, that's for sure. Oh gosh. Ugh. I, I was staring at him the other day because I was laying out all my uh, Perler bead creations and I was taking pictures of them in sequence and then I came to my Dragon Quest Six ones and I was like, oh god, these fools. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, Matt's favorite game. <laughs> one day Liam's going to have me do a podcast on that and I'll be yeah. very quiet. Yeah, we almost got one recently. Yeah, we, we, were, we were close to snagging someone for that one. Yeah. Saloon's really all cool because right. he works smarter, not harder. Yeah. So that was a pretty fun chapter. <laughs> All right. So favorite mechanics in any of the Dragon Quest games? What what do you like in your Dragon Quest games? I, obviously, you mentioned the Muso games, but is there anything that you've uh, any parts of any of the other games that you played you like, like monster collecting or the job classes, casinos, anything specific? You know, I, I, I it's interesting, like uh, the combat system and, and Dragon Quest games really haven't changed a whole lot over the years. Oh, uh, no. they, they, they done <laughs> unlike Final Fantasy, uh, they stuck with the formula. And honestly, I think that's what really works really well is I'm not a fan of the typical turn based JRPG formula, the, the traditional formula. Um, because it feels like to me there's no strategy to it. it's attack attack heal attack attack heal uh and early dragon quest games certainly 
you know, pretty much boil down, you know, to that and you get repetitive pretty quickly. But what Dragon Quest has really done really well uh, that other JRPGs can't do is it is, is every every time it comes up in the Dragon Quest game, they they refine that formula, make sure it's super, super balanced. And and it's become more and more, you know, balanced, I think, as time goes along, more or less. Uh, so, you know, when you're getting in there, you're getting a really tight experience that as if you're not over leveling, you're going to have to pay attention to the combats. But at the same time, if you decide you want to uh, an easier experience, you can grind for a bit and over level and you can have an easier experience. If you want a harder experience, you can push forward and 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 push past where you probably should be at and and you'll have a harder time for it that is something that we take for granted in rpgs especially jrpgs but the reality is that a lot of games can't get that balance right and they're either too easy or too hard especially in the second half um just just because there hasn't been enough play testing and number crunching and things like that but dragon quest has had the advantage of sticking with the same system for decades uh the graphics have gotten better the sound has gotten better uh, now that you've had you have some you, know, you do have class you know you do have class and if you uh, changing and things like that and if you're saying if the question is something along the lines of what's your favorite mechanic out you know, within the, the the quest in a vacuum or within the series in a vacuum yeah, I would definitely agree that the, the, the class changing systems are always fun. Uh, the fact that you're going from generation to generation and five and Dragon Quest five, I think was super exciting. Um, the, the casinos are a fun distraction, but they're not really. Uh, but but I think feel like with a lot of those uh, minor sets, the pet, the, the, the pet collecting and in, in some of those, I really think other games do it better. Like any one of those elements, if you're looking outside of Dragon Quest universe, other games have done those other elements, you know, better. If you want a great monster collecting game that does it really well, there's Pokemon or some of its competitors that do that really well, for example, or or class changing. You have Final Fantasy Tactics and Final Fantasy V that arguably do that better. But but no one, I think, gets the true turn-based JRPG formula down the way Dragon Quest does. And, and that's what's so sublime about it. When you get into a boss encounter with Dragon Quest, you know you need to be on your A game. Sounds so, good. Yeah. And then if you do add in some mechanics like class changing or stuff, that's that's going to add some extra wrinkles and some extra strategy to what, you know, to what you got to bring to the table for that boss fight. So that's even more exciting. I've heard some really good things about Dragon Quest XI that they really have, you know, brought that home. So I can't wait to give that a shot. Yeah. When you were talking about boss fights, that's actually one of the one of the first things that I thought of was some of the boss fights that you encounter in eleven are, uh, mm-hmm. are really pretty memorable um okay so do you have any uh favorite dq merchandise dq merchandise you mean outside of the games themselves yeah, outside of the games <laughs> there's something right? other than the games themselves yeah. <laughs> i you know no actually i guess i'm not really a, a big big merchandise person hmm. i've got some like uh let me take a look at the wall here Maybe no I've... T- uh, slime time t-shirt splatty what do you think yeah, there you go. So, yeah, that's my answer. Slime Time t-shirts, by far, my favorite piece of Dragon Quest merchandise. Buy yours today at, what's the website? Is it slimetime.com? Just trying to the money to Dwayne no, Bullock and get a t-shirt. Trying to give you guys a plug here. <laughs> we'll insert that into the show notes. <laughs> we do. Right. I think we do have Slime Time t-shirts, though. I think we would have soaked this up with that. I think, you know, I mean, obviously there's a ton of merchandise that's out there. It's just, I got so, you know, when you get, uh, you're older like I am, obviously I've been around the block, 
you know, for a while, having played the gold box games and stuff, you, you, we really don't, you, you try to minimize shit in your life and, and yeah. And, and just having this many games that I already have, it's, it's already takes up enough space. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not me. I got, I got, I got boxed merch, uh, at my parents place, um, like up in Cape Cod and in storage and everything. So I, I tell you what, though, I tell you what, guys, um, I am a, a fan of, of like the action figures and I've got like Final Fantasy, you know, action figures of like lightning and stuff. Um, I've got uh, Persona, you know, action figures. I bought Joker for the year Persona 5. And what I do is I put them on the corner of my desk. So every year I buy a new action figure for the year The Witcher was Geralt. And I sit at the corner of my work desk. So people come and say, what's that? And I explain to them it's the year of Witcher and I'm playing the Witcher games or whatever. Um, that never happened. Uh, but uh, but but I, I, you know, I got Joker <laughs> this year. People come and see Joker. What's that about? I tell them about Persona 5. Uh, I, you, there is a possibility that next year might be a year of Dragon Quest for me. We'll Ooh. see. Not say... Not saying, not committing to it yet, but it There's might There's a be. lot of, uh, what is it, the play arts? Or the... Yeah, you'd have to save yeah. up for that. It might take you a year anyway. So <laughs> a lot of them yeah. coming out. I usually have a budget every year uh, of about, you know, 100 bucks for these things. So Yep, that's about uh, what they would cost. You could yeah, get one. <laughs> I get one. It's like a little little birthday, early birthday present for myself. I get one and it sits on my desk all year. And then it goes into the, the cupboard or it gives given to a friend. But uh, so here's my challenge to everybody. Uh, I have a Twitter handle at JC Servant. Uh, it's pretty much spelled the way it sounds. And if uh, if you have a favorite figure that it needs to be something that I can actually go and buy, preferably on Amazon. I've done some purchases from eBay before, so that's not completely out of the question. But I won't buy cheap Chinese knockoffs. I, I won't do that. So it needs to be an original manufacturer, you know, real thing. But if you got some suggestions, tweet me at JC Servant. Uh, and and if I pick yours, uh, I'll send you a free game. Um, GOG or Steam because I've got I've got a number of gift games there I need to give away. Look at awesome. that! It's the right. contest right here on Slide right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we just did that. It's totally a thing. You don't even know what game you're gonna get. <laughs> 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 Whatever's left on my on my gift account. There you go. All right. Well, now that we've talked a bit about Dragon Quest and World Quest Four in a second, uh, but for one last question for you, Phil, uh, what were what are some of your other favorite RPG games or series besides Dragon Quest? Uh, yeah, I like the I like the Final Fantasy series at least up to a point. Uh, I'm not the hugest fan of the more modern games in the series, but you know, up through twelve. Uh, I had a really good time with those, and uh, I'll have a couple of those action figures behind me. So that's a that's a really good series. Um, thinking for a second here, I mean, if I uh, series, oh, duh, Monster Hunter, which really isn't your typical oh, you game. Love it that. Oh yeah, love some Monster Hunter, uh, and it's one of those games. It's more of an action uh, style RPG, and I use that in air quotes because I guess it can be argued whether or not it's an RPG. But we cover it RPG gamer, so it must be an RPG. Um, but it's a, it's a lot of fun going out and hunting monsters. It's a little hard to get into. I had to go to some YouTube videos and learn just how the freaking game works. That's a lot to ask of anybody who's coming to play a game, but I can't stress this enough. If you really, it, once you get to know it, you, you'll love it. And in a way it does, it does feel like an RPG to me because there is, there is that similar mechanic we I just talked about with Dragon Quest where, you know, as you're moving up through the monster list, if you want a harder experience, just push faster. The game doesn't stop you from working your way through the missions and quickly 
getting to the harder missions, even though you're not geared for it, which means you'll have a harder experience. And if you're good at action games, you'll do fine. Uh, but if you're like me and your reflexes aren't so great, you can take your time. You can grind up different armor sets and different weapons so that you have the best tools for the next monster that's on your docket to, to progress. And I think that's that that sense of progression that comes from a combination of your skill and your ability to think strategically and grind up like you do in an RPG uh, is really what I find satisfying about that series much more so than let's say a dark souls. I know some people compare monster Hunter to dark souls or whatever it's called. I'm not a big fan of dark souls because I feel like while there is some RPG mechanics there, ultimately if you, it, it, when it comes to the tougher bosses in that game, you get hit twice. It doesn't matter what armor you're wearing. You're dead. You know, like those games are just so balls to the wall hard. Whereas a monster hunter, you can take the time. You can prepare, you can set, you can get the right traps, bring the right tools, bring the right equipment, wear the right armor. And you'll have a much easier time dealing with the monster. So really love the Monster Hunter uh, series. And Castlevania. I haven't talked about Castlevania in a while, but man, those are some of the best Metroidvania games. Metroidvanias are really cool and awesome now. People need to go back and play some of the old ones, like Order of Ecclesia, one of the original games I reviewed for RP Gamer. Super fun. Go play it today. I got to give a shout out to uh, Matt Craft, one of our former guests. I was sitting at dinner about a month ago, and I got an all caps text from him. He's like, oh, my God, I, I can't even remember what it is now. It's on my phone. But what, are the, what was it? Symphony of the Night. Yeah, he's like, Symphony of the Night just came out for it's on my phone. And Matt Craft loves his phone games. He's Mr. Mobile Gamer. Um, not necessarily mobile games, but he loves to play games on his mobile device. Um, and I'm sitting at dinner and I was like, oh, I've not played that one. Next thing I know, I got $3 sent to me through the uh, Facebook Messenger, <laughs> which I never had anybody do. I was like, uh, what do I? So I was like, why did you just send me 3 bucks? He's like, you got to buy it right now. Go to the Google Play Store. It's there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Did you buy okay. it or did you just pocket the three bucks? I actually bought it. I bought it. But uh, I think it, it, it that might make its way to my uh, modded Vita instead. I, I think I need some buttons for that game. I Yeah, I, I can't recommend Symphony of the Night enough, especially if you're a retro gamer. I feel like that's like a 101 class. Like, you, you have to take that to even call yourself a retro gamer. Um, but uh, but don't play I mean, don't need cell phone experience unless you got a really oh, good joystick. Yeah, that's not <laughs> the ideal way to play that classic. Um, I, I did Matcraft a solid and I bought it on the Google Play Store, but uh, and it's downloaded. It's on my phone. Uh, sorry, Matcraft, haven't clicked on it yet. But yeah, I think I'll get to that on uh, something with buttons. All right. Well, we have now reached uh, the part of the episode. We're actually going to talk about Dragon Quest IV some more. Not that uh, Phil hasn't told us his initial impressions about it, but we kind of baited him into that, to that one. So, uh, oops, that's on us. So uh, I'll talk here for just a couple minutes, kind of give a big rundown. Um, Phil, we don't get too diving deep into the whole plot. We don't go super deep about what every little bit is. What we like to do is really just tell our impressions of all the different stuff. So while I start out with a uh, two-minute, um, you know, Cliff's Notes, Platy's Notes version of the plot, um, then we just get to talk about all the fun stuff that we remember about it um, and our favorite parts. So uh, Dragon Quest Four is set up differently than any of the other Dragon Quest games in that it's got a chapter-based system. And it's a little interesting because when you start the game, you start as the main player, but um, it opens with you're living your life in a little mountain village and suddenly monsters attack and, you know, things happen and boom, that's the end. This is, I am remembering this right, guys, right? 
No, the, well, in the original, it starts immediately with chapter one with Ragnar, and you don't actually play as the hero slash heroine until chapter five. But in the remakes, they added in a prologue where you get to see the hero slash heroine training with their mentor. You get a little tour of their village, meet one of their close friends, and then you hear a brief snippet from the parents of the hero slash heroine saying that, well, you have a destiny, but we won't worry about telling you about that tonight. Let's just enjoy the evening. But then what you were talking about, Matt, that happens once you start at Chapter 5. Okay, so see, that's it, because I think the last three times I've played this, it's been DS, DS, and uh, Mobile, which is basically a port of the DS. So that's why I'm thinking it opens with the hero. But okay, so opens with Chapter 1, and you're this uh, pink-clad, awesomely mustache guy named Ragnar, and you, you play just a little two to three hour basic rpg kind of you gotta find out what's happening to the children of the uh your empire that you're in and you get a little heel slime healy as a friend that's, and uh, that's a uh, dragon quest first right there a monster recruitment it is that was the very first monster that joins you in the games good point there so that happens you play a couple hours and then the chapter ends ragnar kind of takes off he's like hmm, there's there's something bad going on in the world maybe i better go figure out what's going on so second chapter opens up and you're this teenage uh princess in the more modern translations she's a czarina because they got all the russian accents and she's part of that um well in, in heroes she's zarevna right yeah they call it zarevna elena that's her full title. Okay. But I don't know the exact, like, the true pronunciation. If it's if it's Zarina Alina, if it's supposed to be like that kind of rhyming sound, I get that. Yeah, I wouldn't put but, that uh, past what they yeah. thought about. My Russian's well, a little rusty. But... I don't know. I think that the, how they pronounce it in Dragon Quest Heroes might be the right way. Because they, I mean, I know they kind of joke with the accents and make them a little more comedic, probably. But I would imagine that the way they say Sarevna is probably the right way of saying it, or close enough to it. And I'm probably butchering it by just trying to rhyme it, so. <laughs> but yeah, you, again, you get another two to three hour snippet. It's not even that long, probably. Um, but of an, I think this one's one of the longer one. But you get a little two to three hour snippet of an RPG where she's going on an adventure. She's sick of just sitting at home all the time, and she's got her loyal uh, the what is it the mage. Oh, what's his name? Uh, you have Boria, the, who's the court mage of the kingdom, mm -hmm. and Kiro, who's the Kiro. priest. Platy, isn't he your favorite character? Kirill is my favorite. No, Bo you... the Boria is the one I was thinking of first. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> Kirill, Christo, he's my hero. He's the original Dragon Quest paladin. He's not just a priest. He's a paladin, because, man, he, he can equip some awesome swords later on. Yeah. So. And he's he's pining too. He is, yeah. He, he's he's kind of following after her like a lovesick puppy. He's yeah. Even in the first the, <laughs> the uh, NES version, you can find like his love letter to her in in like the library in the. <laughs> in the and yeah, as you play the later versions with the uh, chat, and if you play the Dragon Quest Heroes, I mean, you know he's a uh, head over heels. So you got that little game, and then that ends. You're it, she ends up in the town of Endor. She's doing this. Uh, tournament and she goes to fight sorrow the manslayer who's supposed to be um who she's supposed to battle and suddenly he's not there so kind of end of chapter two chapter three begins um you're pretty odd this one's pretty awesome you're the merchant taloon and he was translated as torneco and now he's officially like torneco taloon so they just threw both those names at him and it's cool you get to run a little store for a while and the whole point of that couple hour snippet is make money make money make money 
you make 65,000 gold to build a tunnel to get away from Endor to the next continent, and that ends. So chapter four begins, and um, you're playing as a pair of sisters that are dancers and fortune tellers trying to figure out what happened to dad who died, who was killed. They want to get revenge on the bad king that did that. Um, and you play through that chapter, and when you can't really do that, that chapter ends. And then chapter five suddenly begins, and that's the main game. You uh, start out as a hero, as... I mistakenly said before, you're in the little town. Um, monsters attack your town. You're the only survivor. And you start making your way through the world, and you find all those characters that you've been playing with in the reverse order you play them with. The first people you come across, you go to the town of Endor, which has pretty much appeared in most of the other chapters. And there's the um, sisters. The one reads your fortune and like, oh my god, you're the hero we've been looking for. We've been like just wandering around for a while. And she gets her sister from the casino, and they join you. And then you find um, Taloon at one point, because he's got a ship, Then you need a ship to travel the world. And then you're finding some seeds to grow, or you're trying to find the herbs to heal a town. And you meet Kirill and Borea and Alina along the way. And you pick up Ragnar later on, and you then you go on the typical travel the world, solve problems in towns, beat the big bad guy at the end, kind of adventure that Dragon Quests always end up being. But yeah, it's definitely got that different different feel at the beginning because you don't start out playing the hero. You, you get a little bit of time, and Phil talked about it earlier, you get a little bit of time to know all those characters. And yeah, on the NES game, um, after you start Chapter 5, it's all about being the hero. The hero's the only one that you can uh, control, and uh, everybody else was just... You could set the AI level to it, but you couldn't take full control of your party anymore, which was definitely annoying looking back at it. Once it moved to the DS and the 3DS and mobile and everything, nowadays you can control everybody in Chapter 5 and do things to your heart content. Um, It was the first Dragon Quest game to have the wagon traveling behind you, and you can take out players in and out of the wagon during battles. But all right, so that's kind of what Dragon Quest 4 is about. So uh, let's talk about some of our favorite parts and our favorite experiences with it. We'll start with you, Phil. Uh, who are your favorite characters here for uh, Dragon Quest Four? Yeah, as I mentioned before, uh, Alita's really cool, and her 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 story of kind of rebelling while uh, I think his name was Breya or whatever the the old guy. And um, I'm really terrible with names. That's why I in the <laughs> NES version he was Bray. Yep, he was Bray, Bray in the original. For you. Yeah, and the cleric, what was his name? He was Christo, Christo and now he's Kirill. Of course, why not? Um, let's change everyone's name, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but regardless, uh, and the fact that they were always, all the time, trying to watch over her and protect her, but supportive at the same time, I felt that was a really cute story. But let's be honest, I mean, uh, the uh, what, what, uh, Taloon was what he was, <laughs> I think, in the day. Now he's, what, Tornico or something like that? Yeah, it's Tornico Taloon now for his full name. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was that was obviously a really cool and different take, uh, especially for those, you know, those times like just came out of left field. The idea that you're playing a, a merchant and a lot of the quests there were focused on you increasing your wealth by you know, making some really good trades or going out and getting materials or weapons from the monsters and then selling them. That was very original, very fun. The fact that he woke up every day. And his wife's there with a sandwich and stuff and and, and say, have a good day at work. Right. And, you know, it, it, a lot of RPGs, especially JRPGs, focus on these young, 
15 year olds who are end up having to save the world for reasons. And this is a guy who's overweight and just trying to get through life. But he's, he, he manages to break the glass ceiling and become rich. And that's <laughs> something I can relate to like that. I can relate to how his day and how the whole chapter begins, because that's my life. I'm an older guy. So that's really cool. But then to see, uh, to see, you know, of course the fantasy part of that is, he became, you know, rich by the end and, and makes really big things happen because of his savvy business skills that I wish I had. Well, Phil, you just need to get into uh, dealing arms merchanting. There you go. I'm going to start buying some tanks. Uh, there you go. That's the key to victory. <laughs> buying and selling tanks. Who wants a tank? I got tanks. Zachary, who did you like? Uh, for Dragon Quest Four, I my one of my favorite characters is Ragnar because I've always sort of liked the warrior, like the tough guy of the party. So I thought it was interesting playing as him the first time I played that game, since it's just a lone warrior by himself. And normally, you know, you might have a healer with you, or you might have somebody to back you up, and you don't get healing for a little while actually. So mm-hmm. at least with Ragnar by himself, he can still you know put up a fight, and as long as you have some medical herbs, he's fine. But what I like about Ragnar is, for one, I like his just sort of ridiculous but cool design where you know, he's got the big bushy mustache. He's got like the pink armor, but for some reason he's wearing shorts underneath, the, like instead of leg armor, he's wearing like shorts, like blue shorts or something. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got the most ridiculous look to him, but honestly, it, he's kind of a badass character. And you can see that too, if you ever see like any of the Japanese footage of uh, Dragon Quest Heroes 2 from the Switch version, because they did add him into that one. And sort of seeing what he can do in action in that game and just how much of a fight he can put up, it's like, that's the guy who I imagined when I first was seeing this game. You know, a guy who doesn't need any powers or abilities. He's just a man on a mission to defend this hero. And he's, from the party chat that I have seen in the mobile version, he does seem like a pretty caring person, a little gruff on the outside, but... When you look at his appearance and see his design, you can kind of get that impression from him. Uh, another character I really like, as um, Phil was talking about, I really like Torneco Taloon because I, I enjoy how different his chapter is, but I also just kind of like that character. I've always sort of liked characters who kind of break the mold in an RPG a little bit. So, like in, in Torneco's case, he definitely is because you're not, you don't normally see someone who's you know, a bigger heavy set guy, you know, he's has a family he's, and he's one of your main characters. Usually that's just like a major NPC or something. And Torneco is a fun character to use too. Like in his chapter, you fully control him. And in the remake slash in the original, I think it is once he joins you in chapter five, he becomes more of a mixture of like the merchant and gadabout class where he will do some random action sometimes, but at the same time, those random actions in combat can be helpful because I had one playthrough where he just constantly was stealing all these falcon knife earrings from later enemy encounters in the game. Like when you're trying to go to the Demon Lord's castle in the overworld before you head to the uh, Zenith castle. And in so many battles, he kept stealing all this rare stuff. And one boss fight, I think it was the Rose Guardian, when you're trying to meet Rose, uh, he ended up stealing a Sphere of Silence from that Rose Guardian boss, which was pretty surprising he did that. So from a writing slash character point i really like him but from battle and combat yeah there's times where he doesn't do what you want him to do but i just love the guy so much because sometimes those random action he do, he can do just are it's so great it's so he's just such a, a real life to the party to be honest and i know he's sort of one character that people are like oh don't use him he, you can't control him but i say you gotta go for it and use him he can do random stuff and it can really benefit the party in the long run and then there's times where he completely screws you over and you run into trouble because it's like i needed you to heal that turn why didn't you heal that turn <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, so liam uh, 
Uh, well, I always like to load up uh, uh, Torneco with the uh, cautery swords. You can mm. you can find like it's like a one in one in twenty or one in thirty shot that someone will come into the store and try to sell you a cautery sword, and uh, and that's like a really good sword for early on in the game so it's great to just load those load those up don't sell them to someone when they come in and then just like save up money but and then just buy it repeatedly from your boss um and then you can just load that up and then he'll it'll carry them to the next chapter so whereas gold won't pass between chapters you can now just have like a ton of these swords and just give them to like anyone who can equip them in the future in chapter five um, or just sell them for a bunch of money. Oh. Yeah, that's right. Because, yeah, as you said, yeah, items, even in the NES version, the items, whatever you had in your inventory would carry over to chapter five. Yeah. yeah, there's other little tricks like that, like the safe. If you don't get the safe in Torneco's chapter, it's there in chapter five and you can like go get it. And if you got it in three, then it's it's gone after three. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of little cool tricks like that. I love uh, Torneco's chapter, but my favorite chapters and favorite character is uh, is Elena from chapter two. Um, she's just so in- incredibly badass and she can just kind of tear through things with like her bare hands or her claws or whatever. Um, and uh yeah, I like I I just really like that chapter. Of course, my favorite walking theme in the game is still Ragnar's chapter, chapter one. Oh yeah, that's a good song. Yeah, and you only get it for a short time, but uh, I think there's a way when you're in chapter five, if you switch the main character or you switch one of the characters out to a certain slot, it changes the battle music back to that chapter. Yeah, it's the first character slot, Liam. If like you put if you put Ragnar into uh, the character one slot when you have the full party. Yeah. It'll turn back to his theme. Yeah, that's cool. I always like that. But huh. uh, yeah, so Elena's... Never Elena's do that. Like, it's kind of one of those tricks that the game doesn't really tell you about. It's kind of more of an Easter egg. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, once you do get that full party assembled and you finally leave the castle with Ragnar in tow now that he's the last party member, you get that real epic uh, overworld theme wagon's wheel march that kicks in. Yeah. But then if you decide, like, hey, I want to hear, like, Elena's theme or I want to hear Torneco's theme, if you throw him at the front of the party, the game's like, hey... You know, if you got this character up there, we're going to change the music up a bit for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with Phil that this is my favorite Dragon Quest game. And just for the, the sheer nostalgia of playing it when I was 11 years old for the first time in like 1901 or two, um, or whenever it came out, <laughs> I think 1992, right? Yeah, it was Something. way, way back in the day. I got it for like my, a birthday. My mom just goes out. She doesn't know what games you get me. I, I and I got some of the most random games, and and that was one of them. Um, but I don't know when we're going to talk about second, third impressions. So I'll wait for second, third impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I never got any good games. My parents were not good at buying video games, so I would get like X Men for NES, which was terrible, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, like do, things that you would think would be good, but they just made terrible games for. Oh, you got ET, didn't you? I did get ET. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! I'm not kidding. I own that. Yeah. He called it. He called it. No, I. I, do I totally own, said that yeah. as a joke. I do have <laughs> ET for Atari. It's one of the ones that didn't make it into the landfill. <laughs> Precious coming. That up. game was so epic. You just had to keep running around and, and dodging those holes. Yeah, and then when you fall into it, you just raise your neck up, and he just kind of floats up slowly. Yeah. You try to build so the clock, and then yeah. the game starts over, and you have to do it again, and that's it. There's no ending. So epic. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, you're greeted by that creepy-looking face of his on the title sorry screen. For... Yeah, sorry. At you. sorry for the E.T. spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll get my favorite character, and then we can get into uh, some of the other part there. I, it, you 
Liam spoiled it earlier. I love Christo. I love Christo. I know now Kirill. I, I got to keep calling him Christo. That's I grew up with him. Um, yeah, like Liam, you said, I, this is definitely old school Dragon Quest. This is my favorite, like, of the first four by far. Because, I honestly, I didn't get many SNES RPGs when I went off to uh, college. I had my NES, and I had this game, and that was pretty much the only RPG I had. And it was the only Dragon Quest game we got for, like, ten years, almost. So, uh, at, I think nine or ten years until Dragon Quest Seven came out. So this was, like, the only one. It, and I didn't discover emulation of 5 and 6 until right around 2000. I so, think the, uh, the Game Boy Color uh, remakes of one, and, 1 through 3 came out before uh before. Oh. Yeah, but, but yeah, so, you're right. It, it that was wasn't a long as much time. fun as this. <laughs> it was a really so, long yeah, time. I mean, it was a long time of like, hey, if I'm going to pull out an RPG, it's going to be this or the original Final Fantasy, pretty much, um, for my NES. And yeah, Christo, it, I, I never had that problem. You know, Dragon Quest Heroes makes fun of him, and apparently Dragon Quest of the Stars is now, too. That <laughs> the AI was kind of broken with him. And I was talking about this on Phil's podcast when we were talking about the Musou games, and I'll have to talk about that again. That uh, his special attack in Dragon Quest Heroes is he's trying to quest cast thwack, 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 thwack. Yep, and it keeps failing because one of the AI problems that the NES version had was he would try to quest, cast thwack, and he'd try to cast thwack on bosses and like metal enemies, and you're like, you just know that's not going to work. What is it that he says at the end of the coup? He's like, be gone away. Yeah, he yells, be gone away. Yeah. <laughs> be gone away. Oh, man. But like, I, I don't know. I Maybe I was I was very good at setting my AI, and I never had that problem with him. He he attacked well with swords, and he healed, and he cast, uh, at the time it was by kill, now it's oomph. Um, he had that spell, so that doubled everybody's attack power, and just, I, I, I just, I loved him. He was always my favorite character. Taloon, he's awesome too, and yeah, Ragnar is an awesome design, and Alina's kick-ass, but uh, Christo, definitely number one in my heart there. <laughs> so, uh, favorite chapters, since this is a chapter-based game, uh, I think we've all, all kind of almost shared this a little bit already, but uh, Phil, what was, out of your four intro chapters, which one was your favorite? Hey, Taloon was definitely the the most uh, creative, yeah, just, it was just... I mean, the other ones were really cute and really awesome. Uh, May Amina, whatever. I mean, all of them were good. They were just so good. And and it's a sh- like, I don't know of too many games that have done that since then. I'm like racking my brain of any other game that really does a great job when you have a party. You have plenty, plenty, countless JRPGs that came out afterwards that has a party. That has the typical stereotypical hero goes around and collects other people to join him on a crusade and it gives him a little bit of an introduction. But this idea that you actually play these other characters up for an hour, two or three, really get their backstory, just can't emphasize how ahead of that time it was and and in a way still is today. Uh, you just don't. You just you just don't see that. But definitely, I mean, despite how cool and advanced that mechanic was, Taloon's chapter is is like it takes that even a step forward and just being so creative and again you don't get a lot of games where you know you're gonna play the shopkeeper and be able to do these really cool game breaking make all this crap ton of money and still somehow not break the entire game experience type of thing there's some games that kind of play around with the concept certainly but but this was centered around this one character and it was just just really cool and really uh, neat awesome zachary 
Uh, yeah, sort of to echo what Phil was saying, Chapter 3 was my favorite gameplay-wise because it is fun running the shop for a little while. And then you start getting some of the good equipment that comes in. You get the money earned up yourself. You buy said equipment or, you know, the cautery sword. And then you can run around uh, trying to earn more items and armor so you can sell that off. You can help, uh, I forget the name of the kingdom, but it's the one that's just north of Endor, and you have to help them repair their bridge, so you have to help pay for that, and then you have to keep raising money. I just sort of liked how, even though it is a chapter where you have to kind of grind out gold, the pattern and the process for how it is, like the gameplay loop for it, it's a satisfying way to do it, because even though the amount keeps growing and growing, like I think at the end, just before you beat the chapter, like you have to finish help complete this big, long underground tunnel that this old man's trying to dig out, so you can connect uh, the Kingdom of Endor to the countries to the east, and you have to pay like 65,000 gold for it. Well, you earn so much armor and so much weapons and like all these other things so quickly that are like that considered rare items that your wife can sell off for a huge profit because she's somehow able to mark them up and sell them up at a much higher price than what you probably should be buying them at. But, <laughs> but it's thanks to them and it's thanks to that and the other mechanics of that chapter that makes it really enjoyable. Uh, Story-wise, I would probably say chapter four is my favorite of those first four chapters, because I kind of like that mystery of like the tw of the twins, Mina and Maya, trying to figure out, you know, what happened to their dad, you know, what happened to his former student that we knew when we were growing up, you know, what's going on in our part of the world, and you sort of unravel sort of the mysteries, what's going on, and how that particular part, like the Marquis de Leon, you come across, how he has connections to uh, the main story, even though he's sort of doing his own thing too. So plot-wise, I would say that was my favorite one of them. Liam. Yeah, I like chapter two. Um, again, with Elena in it, um, I like that whole tournament and building up to it. I think there's a lot of suspense um, surrounding, you know, fi fighting off these battles, and then you're about to fight Sorrow, um, and then he just doesn't show. And that's, I, I had to wonder, I forget exactly why he was in the tournament in the first place. He was trying to get the, this like the armulet of transmutation or something. Was that? Yeah, there was a prize that he wanted. Steal the prize or. I can't really remember what happened while he walked away. Yeah. All right. Yeah, but there, there's there's echoes of that in uh, Dragon Quest Eleven as well. Um, so that that whole kind of concept of a tournament and like the, the the winner of the tournament gets this like prize that you need kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it's a it's um it's just something that I really like. Just there's enemies that you fight in the tournament you don't see it anywhere else in the game uh, because they're not palette swapped. They're like unique enemies just for the tournament. Yeah, some of them are like town, the townspeople because they're yeah. humans, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah like a one's one, a martial artist. Girl. Yep, yeah. a martial artist, buddy girl, and a and a kid with a boomerang. <laughs> and I, I've got to go with what uh, Phil and Zachary have both said. Like chapter three was awesome. I would. You know, when I was young, I would sit there for an hour and just run the shop. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, could, and, could, you could just end the game, keep playing the shop. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, your wife gave you the lunch every day, and you could go then sell the lunch at the shop to make money. And That's right. <laughs> so that was always fun. And, yeah, uh, you're all talking cautery, cautery swords. I remember it as the Sword of Malice. Yes, in the original NES. Yeah, all yeah, those that... Swords of Malices. <laughs> and you get such crap wages from that shop, though. You you know that your boss is ripping you off, so mm -hmm. you don't actually <laughs> feel bad when you go back with the final key and just rob him. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. right. You can. That's one of the houses you can use that key at. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, uh. All right. So, uh, uh, 
Liam, I see you've got some things about uh, fun facts here. Um, but yeah. I know before you get into that, I just want to mention there were, because I think we've touched on a little bit, there was obviously remakes of this game and uh this was the first game to get remade and put on the what is it nintendo ds and i remember when that happened it was right around thanksgiving um 20 whatever 2008 2007 2008 2008 was when it came out in japan and what was interesting about 2007 in japan 2008 okay so yeah it was right around thanksgiving 2007 and at the time i had my favorite little toy i had a g6 card that went in my Nintendo DS Lite, and I had a little thing to slot in the GBA slot and the little card to put in, and I could run emulated ROMs on my device for both Game Boy Advance and whatever. And when the Japanese version hit, they had the English text already in there. They had translated 90% of the Japanese, not the party chat, um, we found out later, but like I got to that game was the i got to play it in english because somebody flipped a switch on the rom and uploaded it to a website um the day it dropped in japan i got to play it here in english so you know nice. that, what, that what was pretty cool of it was translated you said like 80 percent uh yeah there were i mean it was almost like that uh dragon quest 6 fan translation where you know you'd go somewhere sometimes or if you yeah. said no to the merchant there would be some gobbledygook there <laughs> right but I mean, all the items, all the story text. I mean, yeah, I, you'd find a couple things here and there, but I played through it just fine. It, it was awesome. But that wasn't the only version planned first. Yeah, I mean, um, so there was in the back of or in the back of the manual for Dragon Warrior Seven when that came out in what was that two thousand two um, was a an advertisement for coming soon. Uh, Dragon Warrior 4 uh, for PlayStation. And the entire fan base was like freaking out. They're like, oh my god, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be the best thing ever. And then the uh heartbeat um the company working on the uh, uh on the, on translating everything um quit they basically shuttered their uh that was that it was it heart was it heartbeat anyone else i believe you're right on that yeah I, yeah i think that they were uh the japanese dev team that was uh, that helped made the game over in japan yeah yeah so they 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 quit the industry or they disbanded uh, while they were in the middle of the project and and like the entire fan base was like crushed. I remember being on the uh, the original NX forums um, back in like two two thousand to two thousand two around or um, and just everyone was like crushed and uh, and we just had to kind of deal with it. Um, and so like my version of dealing with it was to like buy the Japanese version and play it for five minutes and realize, you know, I can't read Japanese and there's no Google Translate because that <laughs> doesn't exist in 2002. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, um, so yeah, and then we just like six magical years later, it was out on Nintendo DS. I mean, do we know if there's really any huge difference between the PlayStation version that Japan got and the DS version? I think the immigrant town was changed slightly with how it worked, because I, I want to say that, from at least from what I've read, that the original uh, PlayStation 1 remake of the game, the immigrant town, I think, acted a bit more like how Dragon Quest Seven's immigrant town worked in the PS1 version, where you had to like, oh, dear God. trade people, and like it was more random before they changed it to like set places, but I could be totally wrong on that. I I might be remembering wrong, but that's at least what is coming to my mind. That's, that's like the only the main difference. Well, they added an extra element for tagging between the DS version that that's not in the mobile version because just because of the DS functionality. Oh yeah. Mm. 
being different. What's interesting too about that is that when you make your villager that you can use for the tag thing, you have like a bunch of generic NPCs. Then you have one reference to a future Dragon Quest game, uh, Dragon Quest Six with Carver. For he's for some reason one of the options. And then one of the other options, I think, was Florette from Dragon Quest Swords, if I remember right. Because oh, really? I remember when I was making my NPC for that, even though I had nobody to tag with, I decided to still try and make one. I looked through and I remember it, the last two being characters I didn't recognize. And luckily when Six came out a few years later, it's like, oh, okay, I remember him. He was one of the characters that you could use in Dragon Quest Four. but where is this blonde chick at? And then by random chance, I saw something about swords and it's like, oh, well. There we go. The spinoff character actually made it into a mainline Dragon Quest game, in a sense. So, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you're telling me there's a Florette Super Nintendo, or not Super Nintendo, a yeah. DS Florette sprite out there somewhere? It well, should be. There's also a DS uh, Florette sprite in Dragon Quest Nine. She's oh, uh, she's one of, of the characters in the Stornway Stornway Inn, the special guests in the elevator. Well, mm. Oh. If you unlocked, and I, and you should have it unlocked, Platy, because when you came to New mm. York, uh, we connected DS and you got yeah. the download of all the quests and characters and stuff from me. Well, you know, somebody, and I won't name names, realized since we can't really go out anymore these days, and swinging by the local uh, craft store on the way to the grocery store recently, the line outside, standing six feet apart, was way too long. And, you know, being locked at home and needing a lot of perler beads, I did notice that the perler bead website had dropped their free shipping um, price down to $60. And I, I won't say, I won't confirm that I spent $62 on perler beads or not recently, but I'm looking for some <laughs> new Dragon Quest sprites to create with maybe some new perler beads I'm getting. <laughs> right. I'll have to look her up. Sounds good. So go. what are some other firsts? Talking about like some first things. Yeah, well, we talked in, about uh... tactics and battle. That was the first for the series. Um, the first, this is the first one that had an actual casino where you could play like blackjack and yeah. pull slots. I think in the original, in up until Wait, then, is, is that it... what it's called? Because I called it safe scumming. I, just, <laughs> I don't know why, but I called it safe scumming. Yeah, I just the it was the I came up with pretty brutal it was really hard in four it was much easier to manipulate in six with with doing that but uh and and 11 but um in four the the best way to make money is um through betting on the monster battles and even that is extremely hard to to predict there's like all sorts of uh, i tried to find some guides on game facts for that and i'm still like all right well they say this is going to win nine times out of ten and it would just be wrong awful it, like often <laughs> Yep. So. I remember when playing three for the first time, and that was the game that first introduced the monster arena. They could win extra gold at, and I remember playing the Game Boy Color version, and after a few tries of doing that, and even though picking the ones that looked like they were going to win, just by remembering them from random encounters, yeah. and just totally getting screwed over by a weaker monster, it's like, yeah, you know what, this is not worth the time. Yeah, and seeing it in Dragon Quest Four again, it's like, okay, well, steering well clear of that. Thanks, game. Yeah, yeah, and that's nice because I, I mean, you the you could get a really good. I think it was either a Gringham Whip or like a um, uh, something Metal King related, like a Metal King Shield. Yeah. Um, but it, the the RNG for that particular casino in Dragon Quest Four, like that's always the one I I give it a shot, and then I remember how hard it is, and I just like give up and keep playing yeah well i've always heard like even back when i had first gotten back into the main games and got to the casino in four i remember reading i think it might have been on the 
Dragon's Den, actually, or some other places where people would constantly say, like, oh, don't worry about the casino in Dragon Quest Four. It, it doesn't pay out very well. And every time I've tried it, it sure does not pay out well. That's why I usually just <laughs> kind of avoid it in that one and just worry about it. And I don't usually do the casinos too often in the Dragon Quest games, but Dragon Quest Four is usually the one that I just... I go in there for to get Maya or to read the NPC dialogue, but otherwise it's like, yep, don't need to worry about playing this. I'll save my money. Yeah. We talked a, a little bit earlier. This is the first DQ game with monster recruitment. There are some NPC monsters that you like Healy. Um, Healy is actually optional. You can finish the chapter if you if you level up your Ragnar um, enough then he that he doesn't need it and can just get through and just plow through the uh, the final boss in chapter one with uh, with medical herbs. Um, you can skip Healy entirely, but uh, I think the other one is a dragon named Sparky. Yeah, he's in he chapter made... five. Yeah, I forget his name. It's like Doran or something in the in the. Uh, I forget. Uh, in, I totally in forgot the... about him. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he's, he's at your that... party all the way to the end of the game, right? Yep. Yeah, because what it is with that one, you go and save that Zenithian woman from the top of the Yggdrasil tree in chapter mm -hmm. five. Uh, you take her back to Zenithia, and then. I think, I don't remember why, I think they just give it to you as like either a thank you or as a, he's going to help you out, just sort of thing. You get Sparky the dragon, and he sticks with you until you do certain events at the post game. but we'll probably get to that in a little bit. Yeah, um, and in terms of firsts, I can't really think of anything else. This, is a new, this isn't really a first, but I always thought it was kind of cool that like Sorrow is, a, he's kind of scouting out the hero's town in the beginning of, uh, of chapter five. Like if you actually go to the inn, Sorrow will be there, like hanging out, and like some of the townspeople are like, "Oh, there's a there's a wandering minstrel who, <laughs> like, they mistake him for a minstrel," and or maybe that was his class at the time, and uh, and <laughs> he's just hanging out at the inn in the hero's hometown, and um, uh, I think he's just kind of like scouting for the Zenithian there, and he just kind of snuck in by saying he was lost. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember like that dialogue. I didn't know that was. I don't really remember that was him. Yeah, you because you can actually uh, you can actually skip it and not even go into the inn or, or just not really notice and then but uh, he's he's much more recognizable in the DS version where they kind of vamped him out. Yeah, mm. kind of like post Sephiroth uh, redesign. Sephiroth. <laughs> he does have a little look like that. Yeah, the long silver hair and the, the mostly black attire doesn't help with that comparison either. So well, I he... wonder. I I don't know though if they did that on purpose or if. That just was what Toriyama was like. There you go. There's your design form. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, there was some non-Toriyama art that was in the Dragon Warrior. Uh, I think it was the either Nintendo Power or the, the the booklet that shows you what Sara looks like, and he's much more decked out like a David Bowie look, like from Labyrinth. He looks kind of <laughs> like that. I'm sure we can dig up that art somewhere and put it in a YouTube <laughs> Now I just want to see a video of somebody taking like the model of Pizarro, of, uh, Pizarro from the Dragon Quest Heroes game, like from the Steam versions, put that in Source Filmmaker, and have him sing, like lip-sing the song Dance Magic Dance from Labyrinth, like yeah. the David Boy song. Like that would be, be hysterical. Be fake with Sorrow. Oh my god. That was <laughs> so funny. Um, oh goodness. So, all right, yeah, we talked about um, the party chat being omitted uh, in the DS version. That That's another difference that didn't really sit right with uh, with fans. Um, they probably heard the criticism on that one because it was back in there for the mobile version. Um, any any thoughts on that? Is it, you know, that I, oh, sorry, go ahead. Is the mobile version the definitive version of this game for the West specifically? I, would I say... guess so, because that's a yeah. lot of dialogue, all that party chat. Yeah, I would agree with that, but I can tell you from... From my experience, I had started with 
Dragon Quest, or sorry, Dragon Warrior 3 on the Game Boy Color, and I played Dragon Quest 4 on the DS around the same time. And honestly, even though I found out later that the party chat had been removed, I really wasn't too bothered by the lack of the party chat. Because from the opening chapters of the other seven characters, you know, I got enough of an impression from them, from their stories and their personalities, that when it came time for them to join in Chapter 5, I wasn't super bothered by the fact they weren't talking that much. And yeah. honestly, from playing other RPGs at that time, because um, I had been playing, like, like some of the earlier Final Fantasy games on the Game Boy Advance remakes and stuff, you know, your party really didn't talk unless it was specific points, and I just, yeah. you know, I knew Dragon Quest Four was a remake of an older one, so I didn't really think too much of it. Yeah, I am glad, though, that they did add in the party chat again, though, in the mobile version, so I, I definitely appreciate that they did that, but yeah. admittedly, it's kind of one of those things where i'm just like yeah about if you grew up you on the NES it, you don't know yeah, yeah if you grew up on the nes version then it's not it's probably not as bad but it does flesh out the characters a little bit more if oh absolutely yes all right absolutely. so phil i want to get back to something you were saying earlier because you've said obviously it's it's like <laughs> in my head now. i just i can't stop oh boy <laughs> with that song my buddies and i we always used to think before they got to the part where they said sephiroth that it sounded like the lyrics were going hey hey look at these cinnamon ham and cheese <laughs> I thought that's what it sounded like and they got <laughs> well before we got the uh final fantasy 7 deviation going on here um by the way square enix plug go buy that remake in a couple days um but phil you've said you know initially your first thoughts were uh ah, you know this doesn't hold up to uh the D gold box games that you were used to on the pc growing up where'd you get to your second and third impression that this oh, is ended it time up for second your... and third impressions it's time, time for your second and third impressions okay. yes okay. wow all right i'm excited so so what what happened was uh yeah i basically put that game on the shelf played other games and a year or two later, I had this really long summer, this uh, staying at home uh, during summer breaks from school. Uh, my sister and I would just be stuck in our house all day long while my parents worked. And I, that's where I played E.T., by the way. <laughs> just sitting there playing the Atari. <laughs> I like how the summer of Atari games, it was boring as hell. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this I'm going to give this another shot and I'm going to play this game on its terms and just accept it you know kind of uh, change my expectations just accept it for what it is type of thing and 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 my second impression i that second time i played through it i played through it all the way and i beat it and that's saying something because there was no faqs back in those days i didn't have the hint book for it i didn't have the 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 nintendo power you know magazine for it if there is one i didn't have any hints and dragon quest games are known for having not only some secrets, but some things that get in your way for you to progress to the main story. And I know I can tell you, like going back and playing the original Dragon Quest in my in my crusade, as you mentioned before, of playing through the entire series with my brother. Um, boy, I it just stunned me how many things those early Dragon Quest games locked behind some very obtuse secrets. And if you got stuck on things, you just weren't continuing the game. Uh, so with Dragon Quest Four, I, I don't re remember exactly if there was stuff that was stuck behind secret, so to speak, that was necessary to progress the game. But I know some things could be obtuse and difficult, uh, but I, I worked my way, you know, through it. And one of the cool things was later on in the fifth chapter, while it took away your your ability to control the party and and the stories of the characters took a backseat, which was a huge missed opportunity, by the way. Um, 
But but what was kind of neat was that you got the wagon and if you were fighting outside or in certain large dungeons, you could swap pl- uh, characters out in the fly during the fight, right? Am I not mis- am I mixing up oh, yeah. another game? Yeah. No. Yeah, you could hop in and out. So what that did was it gave me back some of that strategy I was looking for, at least in certain dungeons and or in certain overland areas. And there was like a couple of dungeons that let you take the wagon in, and they were tough. And being able to swap those people out made those things a lot easier to manage. It was really cool. So uh, it was a, it was an epic story, and what it did, it, it kind of it it whetted my appetite for more. It opened up the door for me to go out and buy Final Fantasy Two, uh, which is now known as Final Fantasy Four, but uh, back in the day it was Final Fantasy Two on the Super Nintendo, and eventually the epic that is Final Fantasy Three or Six, you know, on the Super Nintendo, the last Final Fantasy game. We, we basically call it Six nowadays. And, and you guys understand, like. So when I bought Final Fantasy VI, it came out, it was $60. Now that's not, you know, nowadays 60 bucks is 60 bucks. But back in those days, $60 was a lot. I was making $4 an hour working at Taco Bell. Welcome to the border. Can I take your order? Would you like to try a Choco Taco today, right? Like it was, it, it took me forever to save up for a $60 game. Why was I willing to plunk down what was essentially half a week's pay for Final Fantasy VI? And it's all because of Final Fantasy IV. Or, I'm sorry, Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest IV. Dragon Quest IV, <laughs> when I accepted it, its value showed me the strengths and advantages that JRPGs have over the Western RPGs of its time in its ability to tell this epic sweeping story that really draws you in because the characters are, in fact, pre-established. They can tell this tale that really draws you in, makes you want to care about it. You care about Talun. You you care about uh, Alita. You care about the characters and what they're going through. It sets it up in those early chapters, and it didn't quite pay off, but it at least showed me that there was all this potential. When I stuck with it, and I really accepted the experience on its own terms. I realized that this was a whole different world. And 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 Final Fantasy IV, and then especially Final Fantasy VI, which is, uh, to this day, one of my top three JRPGs of all time, if not my favorite, it, it really showed me a, a whole different way to experience RPGs uh, and to enjoy them. This this idea that you're a, a character in a play that's fully written, fully orchestrated, and you can really, really enjoy it as opposed to the Western RPG where you're making a character who's a blank slate and 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 you're going to write his backstory from scratch and then go into this open world, you know, experience and write your own story. A JRPG has already got the story written and you're there just to experience it and everything that's already been pre-written. And that's what Dragon Quest IV, you know, really showed me on that second go around later on. Many, many years later, I decided to buy, of course, when a 3DS version or the DS, I'm sorry, the DS version was announced. Uh, the first thing, <laughs> the first thing I, I checked out was while well, I like Dragon Quest IV and I had a good second impression, I, you know, again, as I mentioned, it just opened up the door for what I felt were much better JRPGs later on. Um, but I was very, you know, but, but, but one of the things that held it back, as I mentioned before, was the fact that, that my, 
characters were um, uh, controlled by the computer. Uh, so one of the things that I saw with this one was that, yes, in fact, uh, you get to control the characters. And when I saw that was the thing on the DS version, I was like very excited. Uh, so I bought that. I pre-ordered that garbage. Once I saw I could control <laughs> the characters, I kept checking the game notes. And once I saw I could control the characters, I totally, totally bought it right away. So... Uh, my third impression was, that, you know, between the fact that you can control the characters in battle and, in the fifth chapter and the party chat, that I felt it was a better, more fleshed out experience for it. And and it really held it well to this day because it's still like a 30 hour experience. And a lot of the games these days feel like they have to be 50, 60, 70 hours. And, and, and this remake just says, no, you can have this really great 30 hour experience and have a really good time. And, and and we will not live our useful like you can go out and play something else and you walk away with this really complete experience. And that's the, I think my third impression was that it's better nowadays. And it's a very great experience that I can recommend to anybody who has interest in turn based or JRPGs. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, and you, you you made me. Uh, I I took a couple of notes here as you were talking because you made me. You reminded me of a couple of things. One, the first thing I wanted to uh, touch on was. Um, uh, the Baron's Horn. So you talked about the wagon. Uh, not every cave allowed you to bring the wagon because there were stairs, and realistically, you're not going to take the wagon down the stairs. Um, of course, they kind of forgot that in Dragon Quest Six, and it's just like you can take the, the wagon up and down stairs wherever you want. But uh, in this game, if you took it into certain dungeons, uh, you'd leave the wagon outside. So they had this uh, item called the Baron's Horn. So when you finally get to that final boss and you're like climbing the mountain... Um, you can sound the horn, and then I guess the wagon zooms to you or flies or floats over <laughs> the mountain somehow. Uh, magic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The true magic of, uh, yeah, so the Baron's Horn uh, shout-out. The other thing was the uh, the Takuma Guide. So uh, I don't know if you remember this, but Dragon Warrior 3 came, uh, for for NES, came with like a, a full walkthrough. The, the entire um, uh, booklet that came with it was this thick walkthrough with a giant map and everything. And uh, um, every single step of the game, they basically document for you. Here's what you do next. Here's the recommended level. Here's screenshots of what everything looks like. Here's the monsters. And and, uh, and it gave you every little detail that, that you would find in, in any kind of modern fac or, um, or Brady guide or anything like that. Um, and in for Dragon, Dragon Warrior 4, you could... At the very end of the booklet was this little send away where you could send away for this Takuma guide. And I think it was free. I don't exactly remember. But 12-year-old me, stupid me, did not realize that, like, I guess you could you could Xerox something. You could take it and you could make a copy of it. So I actually physically cut the booklet. <laughs> I took scissors. 12-year-old <laughs> me cut the booklet and, like, and, uh, and sent it away for that. So I got this really cool guide, but then I just maimed my original... Uh, um, Dragon Warrior 4 booklet forever. <laughs> All right, something else that Phil said, and then Liam, you touched on it too, about having the guide. Phil, you mentioned that, you know, back then there were no guides and you just had to keep trying stuff until you did. This is the first time, first game that I failed at because I actually called the Nintendo helpline on this and I don't know. That! How... <laughs> <laughs> Was that like a dollar ninety-nine a minute or some bull? I have no idea how I convinced my father to let me call that phone number, but I do remember I was like, Dad, it's been, it's been a week. I'm, 
Was I have the... no idea. I think it was like the phone number, probably 1-900 or whatever it was, uh, right in the back of well, Nintendo Power. Where they made those games, like if you go back and you retro play some of these older games, I mean, they, they, they made some of these things so impossible to figure out. And what was really frustrating, and I said this before when it comes to RPGs, nothing frustrates me faster than a secret that's required in order to progress in the game. This is, I love Order of Ecclesia, <laughs> but I knocked it a full point off its score, which is saying something, because it's a, it deserves a great score. But I personally knocked up a point from it because... In order to get to Dracula's castle, you have to rescue all the villagers in the town first. And I didn't know that. I just went through and, and it tells you rescue some villagers and you rescue some villagers. And, and this is over multiple, multiple screens. And you get to the you get to the the end and you fight this boss and you get this bad ending. And you're like, isn't there going to be a Dracula's castle at some point? And there's nothing telling you anything about this shiz. Now, the only thing that there's a clue when at the end when you die, it kind of shows you where some of these other villagers are at. And me being dumb and not being able to connect these two things together, I was like, why are they showing me these people for in these different areas? And and then and then I couldn't even figure out where they were because it doesn't show you where they're at in context. Uh, but long story short is somebody had to help me out in FAQs and all this other jazz. But I hate it when secrets are required in order to complete the game. If there's some optional shiz pickles behind them, that's fine. Optional weapons, optional characters, whatever. But yeah, and that's Dragon Quest, especially early Dragon Quest games. <laughs> was there anything in four that that fits that description i know there wasn't like well i remember what i had to call about i had to call because i was stuck i could not get to the next town like i'd been everywhere in the world i'd sailed all over the world for a week mm-hmm. and it was i hadn't used the magma staff to melt the mountain to get through this little mountain pass up in the northern part of the world oh and I remember, I remember the guy on the telephone, he's like, open your inventory and tell me what objects you have there. Because at the time, unless you'd gone and dumped it off back with Taloon's wife at the uh, vault, you know, you only had the eight slots available to your characters to put stuff in. And I remember reading in here, this guy's probably baiting me to stay on another couple of minutes for $1.99 a minute. But <laughs> he, he's like, so what, what do you have in your inventory? And I'm reading through it. And he's like, ah, you have a magma staff. Have you used that somewhere? And I'm like, it's just a random weapon that wasn't stronger than anything I had, so I didn't equip it. He's like, no, 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 you got to like go up to this mountain area and use it. And he pointed me to the right point, and I'm like, oh, look at that. Thank you very much. But I have, I call the helpline on this game. Phone so, a friend. Okay, that's interesting. So, yeah, I, you know, I just... That's the problem with puzzles, is some people will get them and they'll click with them. Sometimes it might be a majority of the people. But if it doesn't click for you, it stops you from enjoying the game. Of course, nowadays, none of us think anything about going in and FAQing something real fast. So back in those days, it was a major hurdle. And even for me today, being an older guy, and I work so many freaking hours, when I sit down with my last hour or two and play on a PlayStation game or something like that, the last thing I want to do is halfway through stop and have to look something up on my cell phone or, you know, whatever. I'm just too tired. I just want to play. You know, I work on a computer all day. So it's still it's still to this day one of my pet peeves. Don't put puzzles that prevent the player from progressing. Or if you do have some sort of mechanic in there that after they spent 10 minutes wasting their time with it, you, you kind of let them through or something. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier with a D&D game because when my players are struggling... And they can't get through. Then, as a DM, you can kind of start dropping hits, or you can say roll intelligence checks, because maybe your character knows even if you, as a player, don't know. Mm-hmm. You're stupid, but your character's smart. 
<laughs> Maybe. Yeah. If you can get Maybe. a high enough stat. Um, so I did want to bring this up. There is a weird glitch in the Japanese Famicom version that a Japanese friend of mine uh, um, told me about. Um, that basically the weird glitch only works in the, in the Japanese version, but when you're when you're fighting any boss, if you choose to escape eight times, each time it's going to fail because it's a boss. You can't run away from a boss. But if you do this eight times in a row, for the remainder of the battle, all your physical attacks will be critical hits. Whoa. Yeah. Mm. So there's your uh, if you can't get through it, there's a way around it. Yeah. I mean, you have to survive getting attacked like freely by a boss eight times. Mm. Um, but you. Oh, that's true. Yeah, you. you he'd like, get eight free rounds of attacks on you. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough to do that against Necrosaro. Um, but uh, yeah, if you do, then you get you just get nonstop critical hits. But unfortunately, that was only in the Famicom version. Was not in the U.S. version. Um, just a shout out to my friend uh, Masa for telling me about that one. All right. Well, I'm gonna skip ahead a little since you mentioned a Necrosaro. So the final. We've mentioned a few other times here that Sorrow is the uh, main boss of uh, Dragon Quest IV. Um, what's funny is just this week in the mobile game Dragon Quest of the Stars that Liam was talking about earlier, they're having a Dragon Quest IV event right now, and he mentioned that you can have like Ragnar and Alina as your fourth party member um, in there. But in the promotional stuff and on the game, they gave Sorrow a last name. He is now... Dragon Quest official canonized as Bzarro Banesword. How do you like that as a last name for him? Bzarro Banesword. That's stupid. <laughs> I mean, I, I want to say, with a family name like Banesword, aren't you like, you're already doomed. It's like Victor Von Doom. You know, he's going to be a bad guy when he grows up. <laughs> His name is doomed. Yeah, I mean, it feels like, it feels pretty unnecessary, like finding out uh, Palpatine's first name was Sheev. <laughs> which is uh they, they that's just some stupid unnecessary canon they stuck into a star wars novel at giving emperor palpatine a first name i mean, I mean they could have just been steve i mean yeah there you go steve. Sheev. 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 Sheev palpatine steve palpatine <laughs> yeah. yeah oh um yeah so, i mean so I'm... you guys think Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm sure Sorrow has a second name. Uh, it's just not instrumental to the game to know what it is. Yeah, I, I don't really care that he has one. I think it's kind of weird they randomly give him one. Honestly, I think he's fine with just being known as Pizarro the Man. Well, I guess you, you guys might know. I call him Pizarro. I, I know the piece probably silent, but it's just a habit. Sorry, but um, I, I call him Pizarro the Manslayer, and I honestly think that title works better for him than just calling him, what was it, Bane Sword was his last name? What did you say? Yes. Yeah, Bane Sword. I mean, it's not bad, but it just makes him sound even more edgy than he kind of looks. So, uh, <laughs> The name in Japanese, wasn't it Pizarro? Or it was Death Pizarro for Necrosaro? Yeah, maybe. It uh, was, because it was like P-I-Z-Z-A-R-O. Yeah, it had pizza in it. Yep, yeah. it was Pete. Yep, I remember that. Pizza row. So maybe that's pizza. his name. <laughs> I don't call him that because of the Japanese thing by any means, but oh, yeah, it's, but... it's kind of like my thing with Bjorn where before I realized how it was properly said, like the way I just read it in my head was Bajorn or yeah. Bajorn or something like that. So it's just sort of a habit to say it as Pizarro, even though that's probably the, the totally incorrect way yeah. to say it. But you didn't all right, call so, it BJ Orn? So uh, can we do 
Dragon Quest Hero spoilers at this point? Oh yeah, Dragon Quest right. Heroes. Dragon Quest Hero spoilers. You get Sorrow later on as a as a party member. Um, if he dies in battle because he's really not as strong as when you actually fight him as a boss, um, and you use a leaf on him, the char- usually the character will say his name. And depending on which character you pick, they're either going to say Sorrow or Pissarro. Ah. Um, so it is kind of, uh, it's debatable. You could it, you could pronounce it however you want. Uh, I like Sorrow because it sounds like the word Sorrow, like S-A-R-R-O-W. Yeah, and that would fit in with um, how his story plays out too, and what the whole pun thing that Dragon Quest likes to do anyway. And that leads perfectly right into what I was going to say. Um, h- how do you like him as the... Uh as the uh, antagonist of this game because it was all because of the love of a woman that this whole thing happened. Yeah, she could have been Rose Bainsword. <laughs> oh my god. It could have worked out. Uh... <laughs> now, see, I, I vaguely remember I don't want to, I don't even want to attempt to say it. I know he was in love with Rose and human and Zara is like an elf, right? A dark elf, or see, that's what I actually have that in my notes because technically Pizarro is called a monster, yeah. but he looks like an elf, like Rose does, because Rose is an elf. Because mm-hmm. that's why humans were hunting her down because apparently she can cry ruby tears. Right. And um, I always thought that Pizarro was supposed to be an elf, but they always call him a monster. So I don't know if it's sort of like the the like dragon lord or hargon case where when you see like hargon's artwork like especially in the original um cover art for dragon quest 2 like the original nes famicom release where you can see that um hargon has these human features and i don't know if it's supposed to be like pizarro's the same case where maybe he was once a man and he became a monster or maybe he was once an elf but because of his deeds he somehow became like a mutated elf and was classified as a monster but the game never really talks about it, so I think if you call him a monster or an elf, I mean, you're going to be totally fine. All right. He's described uh, on uh, dragon-quest.org as a powerful demon with a passionate hatred for humanity. He does look very much like an elf with the pointy ears, like he could be a dark elf. Yeah. You know? Um, and I probably got it, like Zachary said, about because cause Rose is the uh, elf. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he was in love with Rose, this elf, and humans mistreated her they liked mistreating her because every time she cried she cried ruby tears and hey they got rubies so just keep making her cry and that's what turned him against humanity and set this whole he's the evil villain this is interesting um on again dragon dragon dash quest.org uh in the japanese cell phone remakes uh sorrow has the personality known as a sundere or sundere what so, oh, so he's got like the Maribel thing. Yeah, Maribel. it's the Maribel thing. So that's that's what kind of caught my eye. So if party chat is used while he's in the party, he usually does not appear interested in speaking to his new comrades, usually expressing annoyance if attempting to do so. Nevertheless, Sorrow will express both remorse and gratitude when due, uh, such as visiting the hero's hometown in Rose Hill. So yeah, that's interesting. They're comparing him to Maribel in that case. Yeah, that 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 seems to be a popular character type in Japan because if you look on forums and stuff, sometimes a lot of like the popular characters seem to be the ones that are like the "Well, I don't like you, but I really do like you" sort of right. personality or that type yeah, of character. I mean, someone who grows on you. I guess they yeah they they kind of started. Maribel was the first of of that in the Dragon Quest series, and then eventually they bring on Deborah in the remake of Five. Mm-hmm. So, so, so how do you my... like his story? Or what do you... Oh, go ahead, Phil. Uh, yeah, it kind of feeds your question you're about to ask as far as how do you like his story or whatever. 
like my take on Dragon Quest games as a whole, and and especially with four, is that the main plot is pretty damn boring. There's a bad guy, <laughs> you gotta stop him, but that's not the point. Like with Dragon Quest games, it's about the journey, not about the destination. Mm. And especially in four, those opening chapters are such a highlight as you get to know the you know, the, the characters are joining your party again. I, I wish they had follow through on that and really flesh out afterwards. I, I feel like it's such untapped potential there that I have yet to really see too many games take full advantage of. But putting that aside for a minute, we look at the series as a whole and what chat and what Dragon Quest four does in let's say chapter five, which is the the majority of the game. That's like the recourse of the game is chapter five. Um you're going in your typical Dragon Quest game, you're going from village to village to village with your group of heroes solving their problems. That for the most part, these are just little pit stops on your way to solving the main villain thing. But as you play more and more of these Dragon Quest games, you realize that's the point. Helping people, going to these villages, hearing their cool little stories, solving them. And in a way, that becomes kind of an addictive formula uh, that, hey, I got a couple of hours, I got half a day, you know, four hours, five hours, six hours. I'm going to go and solve a village's problems. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. And 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 then I'm going to save. I'm going to do something else and come back to this another day. And you can do that. And you're not going to even if you come back to a Dragon Quest game a month later, it's not like you lost anything on the main plot because <laughs> it's <laughs> there's a bad guy. Go kill him. That's what this <laughs> kind of stuff boils down to. It's just it, it's just the antagonist, the overall the, the big bad guys in these games have never been super deep. I say that without actually having beaten seven or eight. So it's feasible that maybe one of those bad guys is just so awesome. But having played like 40 hours into seven, I still don't know who in the hell the bad guy is. So I'm not sure how <laughs> fleshed out he could be. Uh, at Dragon Quest Eight, they keep talking about him. I'm chasing after him. I've seen him do a couple of bad things, but I have no clue what his backstory is and whether or not I should care. So I, I almost feel like Seven Eight are kind of following in these steps. Uh, but one of y'all could prove me prove me wrong if I just get to those games, maybe. But but my my whole point is I enjoy the Dragon Quest games for the the, the village stories that are along the way, and and sometimes the character stories, depending on how well they're done, that are in the party. Yeah, I I remember the chapter two uh, story where you have to like save the fake princess, mm-hmm. and it's like mm-hmm. you're the real princess, and nobody realizes that, and there's someone posing as you, and you have to save her and give up this. Uh, um, give up this artifact, like a crown or something like that, right? Is it a bracelet of transformation? Or... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The thing that yeah. helps, that basically helps Sorrow, you have to give it up to save this fake princess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, the party finds it and then they have to give it up for the ransom. Yeah, 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 yeah. I always thought that was pretty interesting. Well, I... The princess could have said, like, hey, I'm the real princess, you know, that's just a fake, but you have to put yourself in harm's way to, like, save a complete stranger, which I thought was really heroic. Mm-hmm. It's funny, Phil, that you mentioned that you know these all come down to there's the bad guy, go get him, because we've got a group chat with uh, Brian who runs the Dragon's Den, which is the website we've all met at, um, Liam and Zachary and I, and we've got this group chat, and I, I want to say it was like six months ago when we were getting ready to talk to uh, Nawaria, and she streams Dragon Quest X, the uh, Japanese-only MMO, and... I think Brian just kind of offhandedly said something about like, oh, you know, what's the plot of Dragon Quest X? And I typed out that paragraph and it was like, yo, you know, 
you're you wake up one day and you're the hero and you know you find out things are going on and you know you're, you're sent out into the world and you meet people and you gather this and you go to this town and you keep going through the towns and eventually this guy turns out to be the demon lord and he's riling up the people and you got to beat him and save the world and uh, i i don't think i fooled zachary you oh, but you, like brian's you like you got me yeah, I got, got you. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I was like, "Wow, that sounds awesome!" <laughs> and I was like, "That's the plot of every single Dragon Quest." I was like, "Man, I can't wait to play Dragon Quest Ten after that." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know, you have to listen. You know, you have to play a Dragon Quest game. If anybody ever walks up to you and says, "What's the main plot of Dragon Quest?" Fill in the blank. All you have to say is, "Big bad evil guy. We gotta stop him. He's about to destroy the world." You're covered. Yeah, just <laughs> you're covered. Put but me in the evil armor and uh, give me some uh, Koichi Sugiyama orchestral music. And I'll, Yeah, I'll understand, understand, like, when we talk about the JRPG experience, Dragon Quest as a series is the one that set the tone. Like, they were there, that was the first, I mean, right there at Final Fantasy. I think Dragon Quest was before Final Fantasy. It was, it was the yeah, first yeah. game. Yeah, it was the first game. And then it became a series. And before the Nintendo era was even done, it already had four full RPGs. You know, it was already a full-blown series before the Super Nintendo even started. So so it really set down all these expectations of what made a JRPG. And a lot of the stuff that we consider cliche back then was riveting and, and earth-breaking and all that other jazz. But I think what's really cool about your Dragon Quest series, but can also be detrimental depending on your perspective, is that it has over all of these years, up through Dragon Quest XI, which has just come out on your Switch, Dragon Quest XI-S, is that it has really stuck to the formula. The graphics are better. The, you know, the music sounds awesome. Uh, there's some deeper mechanics involved. But at the end of the day, it's a basic turn-based system. And I was a little worried when they first announced Dragon Quest XI and they were showing some gameplay. It started to look like an action RPG. Did any of y'all experience those concerns when they were first showing that gameplay and the hero was like running around while he was attacking, you know, getting ready to it attack the monster? It started to look like that, yeah. Yeah, and, then... and I was starting to get a little worried because that's the way Final Fantasy has gone with 13 and especially later games like 15. And I'm like, shit, Pickle, Square Enix is going to screw this series over, too, and turn it into something I'm not, I'm personally not going to like. And I know I'm in the minority. I'm an old fogey. But but I don't want to see my old series get turned into these action RPGs to appeal to the masses. Turns out, of course, that that's not really what Dragon Quest uh, Eleven is. It's still a typical turn-based game, and that positioning there is just there for looks. But, but yeah, I was just like... But that's what makes this series cool. Is they stuck to it, but they refined the formula. If you don't like Dragon Quest XI, you're not going to like turn-based JRPGs. I'm just going to say that now. Like <laughs> your typical JRPG. Because it, it really is the refinement of, of what's there. Um, something you mentioned, too, uh, that just sparked a memory. Um, Dragon, Dragon Quest IV, or Dragon Warrior Four actually came out after the Super Nintendo. So I remember this, too, because it was... It was uh, it was it was kind of one of the tail end of the Nintendo era, like one of the last games to actually come out for it before they just stopped production and started making full-on Super Nintendo games. But uh, it was actually, I think, a year later. So Super Nintendo came out in 1991, um, and Dragon Warrior 4 was October 1992. 
So yeah, that, that, that makes sense because I I was always really late to the game. Phil talking about paying sixty dollars for a game like, and I'm re- going back and saying like, I'm surprised my dad let me call that phone number. I bought my Nintendo like three four years after um, it came out. Like I got the NES way late in the lifetime. Uh, I was actually just telling my son. Um, he was playing Super Mario Brothers on the little $20 handheld uh, emulator thing that he got um, a couple weeks ago with his allowance money or birthday money. Um, and he was complaining about it and it's really hard and everything. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you, Brady, I used to go down the street. I made friends with the kid down the street who was a complete jerk just because I wanted to go over there and play Super Mario Brothers. That game <laughs> that you're playing and complaining about because... I said, we have the Nintendo Switch, and we got all these games and everything, and we have fun playing this, and you've played Dragon Quest Heroes since you were three. I said, I was like 10, 11, 12, and I still didn't have that. And I remember I even got my Super Nintendo used when my friend moved on to buy the Genesis or maybe even the PS1. So I was always like three to four years behind. So it, it was great that it came. it still came out, thank goodness. You know, I was still playing that. Everybody else was playing uh, you know, Final Fantasy two final fantasy four on their uh snes and i was just like yay dragon quest four dragon warrior four <laughs> yeah i was just so stoked because three is such a such an amazing game uh, that i just remember i remember just loving uh the fact that this was even releasing oh. and just being really amped up to play it yeah you know uh, i'm sorry i had to step away for a second but i did hear where you were saying how this came out uh, after the Super Nintendo, and that's that, that's absolutely true. And like, of course, I was my family is too poor to, to go out and buy the new systems when they came out. So, yeah, we were, I was still playing NES games well when people had Super Nintendos. I didn't get Super Nintendo th- to like you know for a while, for at least a few years after it had been out. But the cool thing about Dragon Quest Four is that, uh, and like some of the later NES games, they really like Yoshi's Cookies and stuff. They really try to push the envelope on what that system could do as it was going into its twilight years um, to kind of compete with some of the stuff that was coming out on the Genesis. And and Dragon Quest Four, you know, if you're going to compare it to let's say Final Fantasy um, Four, right? It doesn't look nearly as good. Like, you compare those side by side, it's clear which one's the Super Nintendo, which one's the NES game. Uh, If you listen to their synthesized music, it's clear which one's playing off of a better soundboard. But, again, I think, you know, Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest IV did such a great job of drawing you into those characters by telling you their story, by having those individual chapters, you know, ahead of time, rather than just joining your party as you went along. And kind of like pulling you in. And nothing is Final Fantasy IV. I love that game. But I wasn't as attached to the characters in Final Fantasy IV as I was in Dragon Quest uh, IV. Because I got to play them each for a few hours. Got to live, especially in in the case of Taloon, got to live out their daily life. You know, and play through that. And in Final Fantasy IV, yeah, you got to play through like the main hero you know, at the beginning as he's kind of uh, doing some of his paladin things or whatever and protecting the kingdom. But the other people like Radia and whoever's to join the party, they can just kind of join as you come along. Then you destroy her village. Yay. You know, and it's just, Yay. Like, yeah, yeah. Sid, Sid will join in later on because of reasons. Yay. And these twins will come and they'll join along because they want to help save the world and they'll sacrifice themselves. Boo hoo. But, you know, with, with, with Dragon Quest, had any of them done any of those things, you'd care a lot more because you 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 lived their lives and you really felt you honestly felt were drawn into why 
why why were they willing to risk their lives to try to save the planet? And, and each one of them, as you play, you find out why. And you're really drawn into it. As uh, it was just, it was just so ahead of its time. Uh, it, it was just awesome. And in that respect, I think it could easily, you know, beat most Super Nintendo games. No disagreement from uh, us Dragon Quest people here. And if you disagree with me, you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Categorically wrong. Well, we're we're getting ready to wrap this up, but uh, what a good thing to end on here before we kind of do a last final memory thing is uh the post game that they added to uh the DS. They called it um I don't actually think it pops up and says chapter six, does it? No. I think it does. Yeah, oh, it does. No, it doesn't. When you load up no? your save file, it just says chapter six. Oh, oh okay. Oh, they don't do like the whole intro no. music or anything like that. No, there's no intro music for it, and there's no official chapter name for it either. Hmm. But it is chapter six. Okay, so all I, I mean, it's been a while. I think I did not play chapter six when I did the run through on mobile a few years ago. So, I mean, it's been like 2008 plus, or I guess that's when it came out since I did chapter six. All I really remember is you get sorrow and Liam, I see you wrote in there about the, uh, the, like the bonus bosses, Egg Fu and Young, they were pretty funny. But other yeah. than that, I don't really remember much of that. Yeah, so there, well, there's, there's two, um, well, three actual uh, bonus uh, um, bosses. Uh, one of them is this, this kind of extra plot they added in where um, a bunch of the top-ranking monsters under Sorrow are working to overthrow him, and you fight one of them, which is Aemon. Um, oh, yeah. And he, the, the, cha- the biggest challenge there, and he's, I think he's like the final, final boss, um, but the biggest challenge there is that you have to do it with four characters without the wagon because you go into Sorrow's castle, um, or his old castle anyway, uh, and you don't have the wagon inside the castle. So basically you just like go into the throne room and fight the guy with only four characters. And he's no uh, Baron's horn. Yeah, it's kind of like the Hulk, whereas like Sorrow is green and he's he's the Gray Hulk. <laughs> so it's oh, like, it's just a, a palette swap of yeah, it's a palette swap of of uh, of Sor- of the Sorrow fight basically. Um, but yeah, so then there was uh, there was also these other these other bonus dungeon bosses. So like that that was the fight that you could just fight if you go to Sorrow's castle. But then there was an a, le- a legit bonus dungeon um, with a bunch of uh, um, r- random dungeon floors and everything. Uh, this isn't like the... I think this is original dungeons. I don't think this is um, reused dungeon floors like in uh, in 6 or in, in the remake of 3. Um, but yeah, you, you, you get all the way to the, to the end of the bonus dungeon and there are these two random monsters arguing over which came first, the chicken or the egg, and their names are Egg Foo and Young. And... Uh, and behind them is this giant painting of a knight. Um, and the fights, I remember the fights being really pretty hard because um, they do a lot of, uh, they, they do they do some strong attacks, but they also do like a lot of um, uh, random, uh, what do they call it? Um, status effects? Status effects, yeah. Uh, like put you to sleep and, and paralyze and stuff like that. But uh, so there, it was a fun, and I think the actual music while you're battling them is the casino music, which is also kind of funny. Um, but yeah, so you, 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 when you beat them, the painting behind uh, of the night loses a piece of piece of clothing and you get that piece of clothing. So you get like a special demonic style armor that only sorrow can wear it would be cursed i think for everybody else but uh um if they can even equip it but it's like the perfect optimal um 
equipment for sorrow mm-hmm. uh, once he's in your party in chapter six and um uh, by the end of it, you strip the knight down. You have, you have to beat the egg foo and young over and over again, probably like five or six times to get each piece of armor. You strip the knight down to his boxer shorts and you beat him again, you get the shorts. <laughs> and I forget, <laughs> I forget if he's, I think his hands are covering his junk or he's got an Yggdrasil leaf down there or something, but it was just so funny and just so random to be, to have that like stuck <laughs> in there. Um, but yeah, so that, that I, I think it was a year ago I played through that on the DS, um, the the bonus dungeon for the first time because I'd never done it before. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite funny. Alrighty then, uh, I guess we're good to then end it, and we'll uh, Liam will have you start, and then uh, we'll okay, get Zachary, yeah. and uh, we'll end with Phil. Any last memories of the game? Yeah, Any last um, thing you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? The NES game, the the NES version. I think I wrote this on the Wikipedia. Um, but uh, uh, for Dragon Warrior 4, uh, there's a crescendo in the battle music, or uh, the crescendo is the musical term for uh, going from a soft sound to a louder sound. And that actually exists in the battle theme for um, uh, for Dragon Warrior 4 on NES. Um, subsequent versions of that, like the PlayStation version, I think the DS version, take that out. Um, so it was very interesting to hear hear that, specifically that that feature in a Nintendo game, because I think that's pretty rare. I think Top Gun has a fade-out or a diminuendo. But... Uh, but yeah, I, I, up until then, I wasn't—I didn't even think that NES music could do that, but it actually can, and they did it in Dragon Warrior Four. Um, and then my favorite Dragon Quest music track is in this game, the Zenithian theme. Um, when you're in the Zenithian castle, the unknown castle, uh, I, even when I played it as a 12-year-old, I loved it, and it's my favorite orchestral uh, Koichi Sugiyama track today. All right, Zachary. Um, Dragon Quest Four does have kind of special place for me because it was one of the first ones that I played when I got back into the main series. And uh, let's see, because I, I played that around the same time I started playing Dragon Quest Three on my Game Boy Color. It was interesting jumping into Dragon Quest Four since it had much stronger accents and much more like punny writing. But really, I didn't think too much of the accents or the puns. I was just enjoying the experience. And I found that game a really good first step into the Dragon Quest series. And it's one that I had a buddy a few years ago when I was still in college who asked me, you know, what are some good games to start out with? I told him that a good one to check out is either Dragon Quest Four or Dragon Quest Eight, specifically because Dragon Quest Four is, I feel that's a good introductory title versus like some of the other ones where it might be a little more story heavy because with Dragon Quest Four you kind of get the gradual sense of playing where with Ragnar you get just sort of the basics of the combat and then when you get to Elena's chapter you have a little bit more available to you since you have her as a fighter but then you have your mage and your priest and I always kind of recommended that as a good starting point because for me that was a good starting point to get at just because I randomly even though I randomly picked the game up myself it was really cool to get into it and see how this series uh, was especially for an early title like this which Phil kind of talked about when he was uh, giving his impressions of the game earlier and what I remember the most about Dragon Quest 4 is that you do have a very good cast of characters. Everybody is different enough from one another where you do want to kind of swap out with them and you know use them for their different strengths and, or to try and cover weaknesses in your party. Like, even though both Borea and Maya are both mages that specialize in attack magic, like Borea is more of the supportive one who has uh, more buffs and status ailments versus um, 
uh, Maya who has more of the attacking magic, and she can be and she learns the puff slash bee dragon spell. So I like that there's this real party dynamic, both in how the characters are personality wise and appearance wise, but also in combat and really musically. I would say Dragon Quest IV is one of my favorites. I will hold that Dragon Quest VII has the best soundtrack of a Dragon Quest game, but Dragon Quest IVs for me is a really close second. Not just because of nostalgia, but because the songs themselves really reflect the game so well. It's probably one of the soundtracks I would say is probably one of the best. Like even for like, it's crazy to think that this was originally an NES game when you listen to it. Yeah, especially yeah. in the remakes and stuff, or the orchestral <laughs> versions. How detailed it was and able to convey all this stuff, and it's why I love Sugiyama's music so much. Uh, yeah. Like one of my favorite music themes is from Dragon Quest IV, and it's one of my favorite Dragon Quest song period. It's Homeland, which is the hero slash heroines um, overworld theme when they're by themselves and before they have the full party with them. And I found that song so just, I don't know, when I first got into it, I just found that song so beautiful. And even when I was in college and we were doing uh, some of our English courses about like Irish poets in one of my classes, I remember reading some of those poems and first thing, the first song that I thought of was that song, Homeland, because just the way that the poem flowed reminded me of how the song uh, flows both in-game and like in the orchestral version, and we had this big Twitter thing in that class, that, and I shared that on there, and a lot of my classmates were like, you know, it's interesting that you pointed that out, and even my teacher kind of gave me a hard time for it, but in a, like a lighthearted, joking way that I did that, but even he agreed that, you know, I can see where you kind of got that impression, so... I guess just to kind of wrap up my rambling with all that, Dragon Quest IV, I think, is one of the best experiences in the series, whether you're a newcomer to it or if it's one of the games that you haven't played yet. Like, if you started with Dragon Quest VIII and Eleven, and you've really only played those ones, like Dragon Quest IV, that's one of the best games you can jump into because it's not overly complex, but you still have that customization, you still have a good story to it, you have a villain that's a lot more present through the game, and it's has a lot more going on for him versus like some of the other Dragon Quest games where the villains are just, you hear, you might hear them, but you never actually get to physically see them until the very end of the game before the credits wrap up. So I, overall, just Dragon Quest Four, it's such a phenomenal game. Absolutely would recommend it to anybody. Agreed. I'm not going to go on for more than a minute here because I think you guys have said a lot and Phil's done a lot to sell this game already. Like, uh, I think all of you have, but, uh, as you guys were talking about that, I went and looked up what Liam was talking about, fighting the uh, bonus bosses. And interestingly enough, went on YouTube, and this is someone who's on the Dragon Den. I recognize the name. Hero Otilinia. Uh, they always post when we have little contests or whatever. Um, but they've got the battles there. And yes, right as what Liam was saying, there's a painting of a guy hanging behind them as you're battling them. And sure enough, the last battle that you do... He's standing there with his hands covering his junk. And when you beat them one last time, the guy jumps out of the photo and he's like, oh, thanks for saving me. I've been stuck in that photo a long time. And he's like, I'd like to meet people. And you send them on to uh, the immigrant immigrant town that they got. You tell them about that. And it's got the standard line like, oh, that sounds like a place I'd like to go. Uh, and he runs off. He's like, by the way, my name's Old Man Bizarro. And he looks uh, like an older guy with a lot of facial hair. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Is he naked in the immigrant town? Yeah, he is. I he remember is. that because <laughs> what, what's weird, though, is when you talk to him in the immigrant town, he then is like, I'm Old Man Pizarro. I am the queen of this lovely desert castle. Like, he just starts spouting a bunch of crazy nonsense. Oh, it's man. the most random thing. I just remember reading that, and I'm like, boy, if, like when I replayed the DS version a few years ago my first thought was boy i really wish the party check 
party chat was in it was in was in this version just so we could see what the party reactions were to him saying that line because I imagine they would all just be like, "What the hell is he talking about?" I want to I want to know <laughs> if that's still like, it. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> is it, so he's like a a drag queen version of Sorrow, but he's naked. I don't know. He's like a big buff burly guy with like a handlebar mustache that uh, he's covering his junk. And then he just calls himself the Desert Queen in that castle. Like he's on the first floor and like okay. like in the in the castle, I believe, like when you first walk into it when the immigrant town is fully evolved. Mm-hmm. It's it's so bizarre. It, it doesn't make any sense why he right, says right. that either. It just is well, it crazy. also doesn't make any sense why his name is Old Man Sorrow, because That's true. he's nothing like Sorrow. <laughs> Maybe it's his dad. <laughs> well, I, I wonder if it's a localization thing, like if they if if that's like um something they, they added specifically to the english version or if that if that name I, i'm talking specifically about the name mm-hmm. um yeah. if, if they used a different name in the japanese original if you out there have made it this far into our episode and you have any information about this go this ahead is, and uh, oh, hit us up another, on twitter at uh dq slime time this is it another could be that japanese thing where i know that <laughs> yes. was Jen. Oh, sorry go ahead you or anyone you know <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and so, Phil, one mo- we'll give you the last uh, the last thing here. Any good memories of the game? Anything you haven't talked about? One last sales pitch? You know, I, I think in listening to you, I'll talk about your different perspectives. And, and there was quite a bit of focus there on, on the music, which I really didn't uh, touch on. Uh, you know, it, 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 again, it's kind of uh, mentioned before, this whetted my appetite for things later to come. But, uh, you know, one of the things that this game showed me uh, that also differentiated from Western RPGs, I guess that, that music's a big important piece because when you play the Dungeons & Dragons Gold Box games or, let's say, Wizardry, you know, 2 or 3 or whatever back in the days or some of the Ultimate games, they didn't really have a lot of music. And they didn't really focus on graphics aside from just getting the job done what needed to be done uh now dragon quest 4 on the nes doesn't have a real big focus on on graphics there was only so much the nes could do but obviously a huge focus on music and storytelling and then later on with later dragon quest games uh and final fantasy games we see more of a more uh, in the jrpg realm we see more of a focus on those elements and and it brings together this idea that again that, that that it really draws you into the story you like a play using everything that it can sights sounds emotions characterization character growth these these elements that you see in any good play on a stage or any good story that's being told like through a movie and stuff that's what JRPGs really focus focus on as opposed to the the western rpgs which focus more on creating your own character giving you an open world experience uh and 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 giving you this these almost limitless possibilities uh and there's nothing wrong with either one of these they're just two different experiences you can like one of uh, over the other you can like them both and it's fine it's it's what you like but dragon quest 4 really broke some barriers in in taking steps from the original dra- first Dragon Quest or Final Fantasy one, uh, and in w- moving towards you know some of the more well-known uh, JRPGs experiences of today, which of course we all know the pinnacle is really Final Fantasy VI. Let's be honest, um, <laughs> everyone knows that it's just a given. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, meh. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, if you if you are playing like, let's say, a Final Fantasy seven, the, the remake that's about to come out uh, and you're really enjoying that or Dragon Quest eleven S or any of the other uh, JRPGs that are out there and, 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 and these games where there are pre-made characters that are telling a story with a beginning and a middle of end that are uh, really centric around those characters with sweeping music are uh characters you care about epic stories and stuff you you gotta give thanks to, to, to games like dragon quest 4 that really paved the way and if you really want to learn more about your gaming about the the history of the hobby that you love so much i can't recommend this game enough because it's such a crucial piece of that history and because of the because of the numerous ways it's out there, it's out there on your cell phones. It's out there on a DS, which works a DS cartridge, which works just fine in your 3DS. I'm sure you could probably buy it off the eShop. It's probably there as well. Or if you're really into retro gaming and you actually have an NES or one of those uh, systems that play NES cartridges, you can always get that. Uh, last time I checked, it wasn't really that expensive uh, because it was there were so many copies out there. But but. Find a way to experience this. If you want to understand more about uh, your history, the history of this hobby, and and what brought us to these these sweeping games that we enjoy today, you won't regret it. It is just so well done. There's certainly games that don't hold up very well. I'm never going to recommend that anybody go back and play the original Dragon Quest II. Uh, as much as I enjoyed it, I, I don't think that's something that's going to have a broad appeal or have forbid the Final Fantasy II on the NES. Not going to do that to anybody. But Dragon Quest IV is a game that you can really enjoy to, uh, to this day, especially one of, the, one of the remakes that you can find on the DS or your mobile phone. Uh, you got you to find a way to, to just to just like uh, play this game. It's a lot of fun. All right. Well, thank you, Phil. Thank you very much. If you want to hear more of Phil's thoughts, um, go on over to RP Gamer. Check out the uh, RPG Backtrack podcast. Uh, I think I've been on about a dozen of them. I'm on the latest one that was up there. Um, we talked about the whole Mother series. And uh, one day we'll get back together and do that Muso episode again. So check out Phil at RP Gamer and all of his stuff. So thank you very much, Phil, for being here. It's my pleasure. Yep. And you much, Phil. And thank you, Zachary, for uh, being on as well again. Hey, since I was on three times, do I get a free snow cone now? My punch card's getting full. Uh, yeah, I'll unsocial distance myself and drive up there and give it to you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer cherry or strawberry, but I will also take orange. <laughs> so noted. You get orange or red. Got it. Right. <laughs> Thanks for joining so, us, Zachary. Yeah, thanks yeah. for having me back on. And that's it for this episode of Slime Time. We do want to thank you guys again for being here to talk about Dragon Quest IV. Um, you might have noticed that the only time we ever mention the word Patreon on here is when we say we don't use Patreon. We are all just longtime fans uh, that want to speak about the game series we know and love so much. But if you do have some money you'd like to donate, consider sliding on over to the Dragon's Den at www.woodis.com den. Click on the button that says support the site. Uh, Woodis has owned and maintained that site for over 20 years, and he'd appreciate any donation. Um, or you can use his Amazon affiliate link to make any purchases, especially ordering Dragon Quest S or 11S like Phil was talking about or uh, any of the 3DS games, or if they still got the DDS games, or whatever else is on there. Um, I'm sure a couple pennies will go Woodis's way if you buy through his affiliate link. I think we have t-shirts, too. I'm not... Uh, he showed me a design for that. Uh, 
don't know if that's a thing yet, but if not, it should be soon. And if things you're to come. Ad- yeah, things to come. If you're an advertiser looking for a cool new podcast to spend lots of ad new re- ad revenue on, reach out to us at slimetimepodcast at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments for us, you can find us on Twitter at platym 3 or at Riyamu Celestrian or hit us up both simultaneously at DQ Slime Time. Oh wait, that's funny. I see what you did there. I see that. I you just slipped that <laughs> in there. Slime just, a little, of, little slime. You just slipped that in there. That's funny. I yeah, that. We did that, that. I think that was one of the first things that we uh was we were writing up our script for the beginning and end ages ago, a year ago. We wanted to do that. <laughs> we actually created the podcast so that we can throw that in there. <laughs> just slime puns. Put that line first, and then we just made the podcast around that. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, you can uh, get a hold of Phil um, through rpgamer.com, or you can check him out on Twitter at JC Servant. Um, and that'll all be in the show notes as well. So, if you would like to join in tons of Dragon Quest discussions, there's still the Dragon's Den forums, one of the few remaining Dragon Quest forums still around. You can find it over there at the Dragon's Den main page or at www.wudis.com forums. I'm still there, crazily posting every day every other day keeping people up to date on uh dragon quest news and what games i'm playing we'd also like to take a chance here and thank everyone who makes this possible like brian aka woodis for his support of the series and this podcast and making the youtube version of our podcast and for uh, keeping the dragons and lights on for decades. That's right. If you if you want to watch uh, this, if you want to re-listen to this podcast on the YouTube version, you get to see a picture of old man Sorrow holding his junk. <laughs> uh, and on that note, um, thanks to Amanda Laprie and the Descendants of Verdrick for allowing us to use their music for our podcast. Descendants of Verdrick is a video game tribute band from Austin, Texas. If you like what you've heard, check out their most recent album, Advent, at DescendantsOfVerdrick.com or on Twitter at D of Erdrick. Or, when all this corona crap is over with, go see their band leader, Amanda LaPree, live on tour as a guitarist with Andrew WK. And thanks to Dwayne Bullock, our wonderful graphic artist and Dragon Quest fan, for making the awesome artwork cover for this podcast. And if we ever get those t-shirts, he did the art for that too. Dwayne was on the original iteration of Slime Time Podcast many, many years ago. And he's been on a couple other episodes with us. And you can check out more of his work at Dwayne Art on Instagram or his website, DwayneBullockArt.BigCartel.com. And if you're looking for more DQ podcasts to check out our uh, check out our earlier episodes on Dragon's Den, Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, and more. And show some love for our fellow DQ podcasts available like DQ FM and Puff Puff Hour. Bye, everyone. Good night. DQ Slime Time, sliming off. Stay safe, stay healthy, and stay sane.